This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and your favorite part, the funny stuff. I'm Andrea Renee, joined, as always, by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello, Andrea. Hello. And Miss Christine Steimer is here. Hello. We're back together again, ladies. Oh, my God. Back together. Right the now. The redhead, the brunette, and the blonde are sitting. And we're gonna talk some video games today. Yeah. I didn't know where that was going, but I like where it ended. The whole podcast nice should have just been Steimer singing. It would have been great. <laughs> and goodbye, everybody. We will see you next week. It's a wrap. <laughs> we'll make a new tier on Patreon that's just Steimer sings. It'll be great. Oh, God. Brilliant. No pressure. No pressure. Feed me with alcohol. I'll sing all you want. <laughs> Well, you heard it here first, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, welcome back to the show. If it's your first time joining us here at What's Good Games, thanks so much for stopping by. We hope that you found us on iTunes or maybe on Google Play or maybe you saw us tweeting at What's Good underscore games or maybe you heard about us through one of your other favorite shows. However you ended up here, we're glad that you stopped by. So today, we've got a lot of cool things that we're going to be talking about. Of course, we've got that amazing Pokemon Direct news that we're going to dive into. We've got news about the Division 2 and our amazing trip that we just got back from in Washington, D.C. And we've got some game terminations and some game drama because it would not be a week in video game news without... Something being lit on fire somewhere. <laughs> I wonder if we can ever just go a week or maybe two weeks. Dare I say yeah. a month without some <laughs> shit going down? Not a month, probably but not. The, the week like <laughs> on the, over the holidays is always pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Like leading up to that, people are just they're not around. They're doing other things. So and they're so like drunk on eggnog and eating cookies that they can't be mad at the world. Yeah, maybe it's a really good to, time. Maybe that's what the whole world needs. It's just to constantly be drunk on eggnog and eating cookies. To be at the holidays 24, yeah, 7, 12 months a year. <laughs> I would live that I life. Mean, it wouldn't be a bad life. I mean, we'd all get like real fat off of all those but cookies. It's but it's hibernation. You know. We can learn to hibernate. It would be okay. But is it hibernation if you're always in that state? Uh, it's no, a constant that's, state that's of hibernation. Life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to jump into the news in just a moment. But before we do that, we have a couple of announcements. First off, we've been telling you that we are going to be at PAX East in Boston from March 28th through the 31st. We, of course, will have our What's Good Games live panel on Thursday, the 28th at 6.30 p.m. in the Bobcat Theater. We are still coordinating the details of our meet and greet, but it's looking like it's going to be on Friday. There's an outside chance it might get pushed to Saturday, but Friday looks like the day. Of course, we still have about a month to go until that, so we will follow up with you guys once we solidify those details. But if you're going to be in the Boston area, even if you don't have a pass to PAX, we hope that you will come on down and say hello, and we can you know, high-five and hug and talk about nerdy things like when's the next Mass Effect game going to come out? Who knows? Keeping uh-huh. my fingers crossed. Uh-huh. Um, I also want to remind you that we have – Three amazing vlogs that are up on patreon.com slash what's good games. It is one of your included benefits for all levels of Patreon. So if you haven't been by the page to check out what's going on there in a while and you're a patron, first off, thank you so much for contributing to the show. You help keep the lights on, but take advantage of your benefits. Go and check those out. We had a fun time doing the streams last weekend. Uh, Miraculously got Anthem to work, which was surprising. (laughs) I don't know how we did that. That was insane. (laughs) Um, that it was fun and we took your questions in the happy hour Q&A you can of course watch those archives if you've missed the streams and don't forget we have another big stream coming up in the month of March March 16th is going to be our Patreon town hall where we discuss all of the changes coming to the platform so be sure to tune in if you're going to be around we would love to hear from you and take your questions as always before I get into the news I have to say a big thank you And a shout-out to our wonderful sponsors for today. That would be Quip and Bespoke Post. Brittany, before I get to our first message from Quip, do you have any other announcements that I may have missed? Nay. I cannot think of a damn thing. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, did you officially, last week, officially announce our Life is Strange spoiler cast will be pushed back. Oh, yes. That's a good call. So we had said that we were going to do the spoiler cast this week, but good news. We heard from the folks at Don't Nod, of course, the developers of Life is Strange 2, and we are going to get the opportunity to sit down with them at GDC and do a spoiler cast with them. So if you guys have specific questions or things that you are curious about and you want us to ask the developers at that spoiler cast, please email us at contact at whatsgoodgames.com and put Life is Strange 2 spoiler cast in the subject line so we know that it is regarded to that recording and we will try to do our best to get all of those questions answered by the team from Don't Nod. I'm excited that they said yes and that they made time for us. It's going to be real fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember that one, the one spoiler cast stream we did. That was, was that last year or the year before? Last year? Remember the team came to the studio and we. Oh, you mean for before the storm? Yeah. Oh, that was before the storm. Yeah, that's right. That was fun. Yeah. It, that was a while ago. But yeah, that was great. Uh, that was the team from Deck Nine, mm-hmm. of course, um, the sister studio that develops for Life is Strange. But yeah, that was, oh my gosh, that does feel like it was forever ago. And, and then we can yell at them for making us cry. Well, I mean, maybe not yell at them. Maybe yell at them. <laughs> okay, well, you <laughs> maybe do yell at the general do. area of them. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you got to do, Brittany. Um, but I'm not going to yell at anybody. All right. Thank you for that reminder. That will be happening. We'll be posting that after GDC. So look for that sometime. What will that be? Like um, March, late right March? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Or right around packs. then. That sounds right. Okay. Oh, I should probably announce that I have confirmed that we're going to get the president of the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, Megan Scavio, as a guest during GDC. Uh, yeah. And I'm incredibly excited about that. And if you don't know who she is, don't worry. We'll tell you all about her. She is an amazing force uh, for not only women in video games, but diversification of the game making community at large. And I really love all the work she's doing um, at AIAS. And we'll talk, of course, more with her about that when she is in the studio. For now, let's talk about why we love Quip. Now, we've been talking about Quip for a long time, and it's because they make a great product. I just brought my Quip with me to Washington, D.C., stuck it to the mirror like I always do. And I always wonder if the cleaning staff is like, what's this weird toothbrush that's stuck to the mirror? (laughs) (laughs) But it's just so handy. And so I want to remind you that one of the most important things that we do for our health every day, of course, is brushing our teeth. Most of us don't do it properly, though. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. It was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even, dare I say, enjoyable. It's got sensitive sonic vibrations that are gentle enough for even those with sensitive gums. And people brush too hard, and that's not good. And some electric toothbrushes... They're just too abrasive on your gums. But not Quip. It's also got a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides to help guide a full and even clean. Did you know that up to 90% of us don't brush for our full two minutes or don't clean evenly? I'm guilty. I believe it. it. Some people have real stinky (laughs) breath. You're not wrong. What do you say, say, Brittany? Are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) I mean, I'm joking. You have lovely breath. (laughs) Thank you. It also comes with that multi-use cover that I mentioned that mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over your bristles bristles, bristles for on-the-go brushing so it declutters your sink and cabinet. It makes traveling with an electric toothbrush easier. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and it runs for three months on a single charge. That's just some of the reasons why we love Quip here at What's Good Games. And did I mention they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals? Quip starts at just $25 and if you go to getquip.com slash what's good right Right now, you're going to get your first refill pack for free with your Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash what's good. Getquip.com slash what's good. All right, time for the news. Brittany, I'm going to pass the ball to you <gasps> and let you kick things off. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, if you are at youtube.com slash what's good games, you may or may not be able to see my Pokemon my Pokemon shirt. I have a Pokeball. My mic's kind of in the way, but it's a thing. I am a human Pokeball. Um, because today is Pokemon Day. This On this day back in 1996, Pokemon Red and Green released in Japan. So what better day than today to talk about Pokemon Sword and Shield? Oh my god, it happened. It finally happened. We got confirmation. Okay, be professional. So at 6 a.m. this morning, uh, which was what, Andrea, wait, 8.30 p.m. we discovered? Or something? Or 8 p.m. or what was it? Uh, it was, yeah, like 8, 8 o'clock p.m. in Japan. Yeah, so we were on the bus in D.C. yesterday. Was that yesterday? That was uh, Tuesday. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I think it was yesterday. It's Wednesday. I don't know. When did you leave? It was, yeah, it was Tuesday. And we were on um, the bus touring around thanks to Ubisoft and doing a Division 2 event. And Twitter had been talking about this. And they said, oh, my God, there's a Pokemon Direct. And I grunted very loud. And Andrea can confirm the grunting because she was there. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, True. it happened. So at 6 a.m. this morning, they Nintendo announced Pokemon Sword and Shield, and this they showed footage for the first time of this first core console Pokemon game, and I have notes. I have things to say about this. So okay. I went through the, the trailer. It was only seven minutes of information. So... I mean, for one game, that's that's a good amount. But this, at the end of the day, was more a tease than much of anything else. So I watched it at 6 in the morning. I got my husband up to watch it with me. And he was not super thrilled about it. But that's fine. That's his fault. Okay. So I'll just go through all my, my notes here. So the first thing I wanted to know about watching this, th- the thing I'm most curious about is, is this going to have the Breath of the Wild treatment, if you will? Is it going to be open world? Is it going to be sandboxy how is this game going to operate and so what we learned is that this region is called the galar region or galar region i'm not totally sure how to how to pronounce that there but it looks very familiar to uk pokemon and if you're looking at but what i said pokemon names are weird uh, yeah they are and even the regions are weird so because the, the other games you know are based off locations like hawaii japan france the u.s so everyone's like what's this region based off of and it looks like it's the uk so you have cottages and green rolling hills you have dark forestry forestry you have like a weird ice beach there's icebergs but lounge chairs at the same time in the same area i don't know that's just kind of weird but that's a thing and then you have a city with red bricks that looks like it has for example inspiration from the london eye you have um big something looks like the big ben so that's kind of where people are getting this london-y thing and so what i did is i went through like frame by frame and i just analyzed every location there was and so my main takeaway is is that everything is bigger and there are large pathways that branch off in different locations but there are a lot of fences lining these paths, and there are a lot of natural obstacles, such as when you're in the mountain region where there's snow, there's these big boulders that are kind of lining your path, right? So it's not like you can just like climb these bitches and get up and roam around. Um, and like I said, everything looks larger, but so scale is a thing which is really cool because now the the camera angle so speaking of the camera angle it looks like this is going to be a fixed camera angle as well which is kind of annoying and kind of unfortunate because if you're watching the footage as she's as the characters are going through all these locations it's all looks pretty fixed and i could see that being a thing that nintendo does with this in game freak because they want people to play with one joy con right or if they want people to play with the pokeball plus which fucking sucks, but it is what it is. Wait, so the let me just stop you there for a second. Yeah. So what do you mean the Pokeball Plus sucks? I thought that there was something that Pokemon fans were like super into and super excited about. Did I miss something? No, what, what sucks is that if it's a fixed camera angle because they just want people to be able to use the Pokeball Plus or a single Joy-Con. And that's that's what I mean, because I would love to see the world where you can, like, turn the camera angles and look at all the details in the world and, you know, kind of have, like, that what's kind of, like, come to be an expectation from a game kind of like this in in today's world. But, uh, you know, that's what Nintendo kind of does. They kind of lean into their technology and their little gimmicky things a little too hard sometimes, and I think that's what they're doing here. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so as far as the world goes, the sense I get is that it's going to be much larger. There are a lot of different regions and these regions are very different in the way they look. Um, 
But I don't think it's going to be a fully open world, obviously, because of all the fences you're seeing and all like the random like boulders and random like um, little wagons full of flowers and shit that just seem to be blocking the path. So with that said, something else I'm seeing and something I agree with is that the world just feels kind of dead. And I, I'll go into like my personal opinions on everything because I know I'm probably sound like I'm like not super thrilled about this. But what do you mean the world looks dead? It looks dead because there's not a single NPC in any of this footage. And that's oh, what I yeah, mean. yeah, I heard somebody else talking about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only NPC I there saw... There is an NPC. It's the trainer. Yeah. There's <laughs> one. That's the one train. Yeah, that's the one NPC. But, it, you know, if you're looking at all the footage of the cities of everywhere, there's no other characters, no one running Maybe around. Maybe it's like... This sounds like my dream. Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like your dream. What'd you say, Andrea? I said maybe it's like post-apocalyptic Pokemon and everyone's gone. Oh my god, we do not need it's another post-apocalyptic It's just only you and Pokemon? Game. It's just you, you know, trying to find your Pokemon friends, making your way in the world Is that why Sobble's so sad? That's why he's so sad. He just turned... Okay, we'll get to him in a minute. Um, so yeah, that's... I, so I'm not too worried about that because this game will obviously have characters in it and probably side quests and other things to do. But it did give off... Again, this was more of a tease than a reveal. It just kind of showed off, I think, what we can expect going into the next announcement. <laughs> what What are you laughing at? I, I'm just watching the trailer again because of what Andrea had said earlier before we started recording. And it's true. I will get to that in a minute. You go. Okay. okay. I'll go on with my bad self. Um, also, just a little detail I noticed is that there's one particular area. It's when the characters in the snowy... And this is like all like a second clip. I just pause and analyze this. There's a clip where there's a, the character is in this town and it's all snowy and it looks really pretty. But if you look around you, the buildings that are around you are each like four stories tall. They each have a gazillion windows and they use the same windows... Um, in terms of detail, like it's the same copy and pasted windows on both buildings and they both look the same, which again, like this isn't a huge thing, but this is something that that I hope that was given more detail in the other towns and the other cities, because if it's just a copy and paste of the buildings, it's detail that I think should have been improved upon. Now, granted, that's just my one spot. Why isn't it a huge thing? Hmm? But why why would you say it's not a huge thing when clearly like if you noticed it? Other people noticed it, right? I would say it's not a huge thing because in the grand scheme of things, like, it's not a huge thing. It's something... Okay. I think we're... I... Obviously, my expectations in a perfect world was going to be this is going to be a super in-depth Breath of the Wild style Pokemon game, blah, blah, blah. But I know that that's... That probably wasn't going to be the case. That's just what I wanted. And when you see certain games that have open world mechanics and you see these towns and you see how each building has different, has attention to detail to it and everything looks different and tells a story just by looking at it, you want to see that incorporated into a game you've loved since your childhood. And, you know, Pokemon has done this thing in the past where it's like, here's this really tall building and you walk in and it's like one level and it looks very small on the inside. But from the outside, it looks grand. And so it's not a huge thing. And this is just based off of one frame because the cottage town looked cute and looked a little, you know, had some diversity to it. But this is just a Brit thing that I'm kind of looking at and being like, okay, hopefully, you know, I'm looking at this as a stepping stone to my hopefully future open world game. I mean, I don't know that you're ever going to get that thing that you're wanting. I don't think we will as long as Game Freak stays the size that it is. I think they'd have to bring in another studio probably to like help build that for them because I think their studio is, I don't know, 100 to 200 people. 
Mm, you know, yeah. it's it's not like it's the Zelda team, for example. And I'm trying to look at this from a you know logical pers- perspective here, but also I'm a, a bit of a fangirl. Um, the next thing, random battles and encounters. So obviously with Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu and Eevee, you see Pokemon on the screen roaming around doing their own thing. But in this trailer, we see that the tall grass and the random encounters are back. Um, it's kind of mixed, met with mixed reaction. I personally prefer to see Pokemon roaming around, but I guess that's going to depend on how open this game really is, right? If it's not super open, you just can't have a but- buttfuck of amount of Pokemon roaming around and just like, you know, taking over everything. Because my ideal idea was like huge expansive landscape. You have a few Pokemon like drinking water over there from the lake, and then you have some some shit in the trees. You have something flying overhead. But if it's the if the worlds and the levels aren't that expansive, it just doesn't make sense. So maybe we could have both because when I was looking at the footage from the mountain region and the weird like ice beach place and even the caverns, there's no tall grass in there and you don't see any. And obviously, you wouldn't expect to see tall grass in like a cave. That's or... how the caves worked. The caves were never tall grass. They would, all, they're, but they're still random encounters. Yeah, but I think to have that mechanic in a game that's releasing in 2019 is a little outdated. To make it all random encounters, like I gave Pokemon Let's, well, no, Pokemon Let's Go had the Pokemon popping up on screen. So what I would hope is that maybe they'll have a little bit of both in the sense that maybe you have to do some tall grass and you have to see maybe other Pokemon will pop up in the caves or around the world. I don't know. Maybe they'll have like a safari zone where those are the ones you can see. I hope so, because they took that shit away in Pokemon Let's Go and that pissed me off. Uh, safari uh, zone's the best. I know. So again, like we don't know much yet. This has all just been a tease. We don't get to see the actual battle mechanics. We just see the Pokemon flailing around and like doing their own thing. We do see the one NPC that Steimer mentioned is a trainer, and it looks like the mechanic of you walking in front of them and then you go aggro and they're like, hey, let's fight is back. It looks like it's back. Yeah, and that I, looks, that's pretty much what it looks I'm like. I'm very, I don't like that at all. That's very I don't irritating. like it when you can't get around them. Yeah, and so maybe that won't be as much of an issue in this one because obviously in the older games, tight corridors, you can't really like go around anywhere, but yes. Actually, let me rewind. I'm like, no, I won't. And then we see Pokemon oh, from all different generations um, in this trailer. So we know it's not like all new Pokemon or whatnot. It's just like a nice little, I mean, we're going to get new Pokemon, but it's a nice little group of a bunch of different stuff that we've gotten across the years. <sighs> yeah, she's kind of in your main path. So if you, you could go have gone around the grass. You yeah, gone around the grass. And, and then obviously we got her. the three new Pokemon. We got Score, Score Bunny. It's like Score the Bunny. Der- Score Bunny. It's like the, it's a fire Pokemon. Kind of like the cocky, derpy, happy Brit Pokemon. That's like, oh my God, life is good. That's probably going to evolve into something like, mediocre and okay and then you have grookey the green monkey who just looks like basic bitch and then you have sobble <laughs> which is that the meek feeble little like tadpole pokemon and this is the guy i'm really excited about i typically don't like plain water pokemon it's just like not my thing i usually go for the fire but i have a feeling that sobble is going to be one of those pokemon that's going to evolve to be badass i feel like he's going to go and see some shit and then like go through an epic transformation and then be what like, if yeah. he just gets progressively sadder that would make me very sad too. Yeah. <laughs> I also hope he has a nice arc, but I do I do wonder <laughs> yeah. if if they just they just lean into it and they're like, no, he's the sad sad newt. Yeah, I mean, I wanna, yeah, I want to meet the person who is responsible for finalizing the name of the new Pokemon, like Sobble. Like, what the heck is that even? Sobbing? Is he sobbing? Grookey? Yeah, and like. 
I'm honestly, I'm not blown away by any of these designs of these three things. I think once you have 10 million Pokemon, like there already are, it just, it can be hard to, I guess, innovate. I mean, if you think about Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle, those were very three different looking Pokemon. And I feel like these three kind of all look sort of the same. I mean, they're obviously very different, but they're just, they're, eh. They just look uninspired. Actually, somebody did a little side by side, and they were like, all of them had pretty much the same eyes. Not yeah. these new ones, the old ones. Oh, the... the old ones have the same eye design. So, like these ones, at least have different. Oh, okay, sure. I mean, I think, but the th- yeah, sure. I'm just thinking of these guys. Like they just, eh, eh. I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan. They didn't speak to me. No one was like, choose me. So anyway, so now my personal thoughts. I, I think. This is going to be a very fun time. Now, it's hard to say too much about it because we know literally close to nothing about this game. They didn't go into any detail about how's the transition going to work from region to region. You know, they released a map, but how large is that map? We don't really know these things. How's the battle mechanics going to work? How's the online game going to blah, 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 all of those things? Are there going to be side quests? We don't know. And those are the things that will get me really excited about this game. Just looking at it. It looks fine. It's not blowing my mind. It doesn't. It looks better, obviously, than a th- than a 3DS game because it's on the Switch and the technology allows it to do that. But I wouldn't say it looks leaps and bounds better than the 3DS. I said it it, it looks good enough that I'm like, okay, cool. They upgraded it a bit, but uh, yeah. So I'm kind of I'm excited and I'm yeah I'm excited about it, but I'm not blowing my load over this just yet. That's fair. Yeah, no, I mean, when I watched the trailer, I think I was like, oh, okay, so this is basically just going to be a better looking Pokemon RPG um, for for your Switch is the vibe I'm getting. Yeah. Now, maybe the the battles looked more interesting only in sense in the sense of like how they're set up visually. Uh, Mm -hmm. We don't again, like you said, know exactly how it works in terms of like, is it still just turn based? What's going on? Um, But Otherwise, I was kind of just like, okay, I'll wander around in this for a while. Yeah, it looks like you said, it looks like a better Pokemon game. What's really going to set it aside is going to be how does it play? How does it work? What are the features? Because during their presentation this morning, they did say they're trying out new features, which is something to do with every new Pokemon game. But to what extent are you testing those waters? And that's the big question. Pokemon Snap Edition, where you like have a camera in that bag of yours. Yes, that's what I've been saying. That's what we need to happen. Oh, my God. It's just a mode. You don't need to make yeah. a whole new game. So, Simon, are you going to play this? Yeah. Andrea, are you going to play this? You don't know. No- we don't know enough about it yet for you to make that's, a decision. That's her hail no face. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. And I've said this before. <laughs> if they had done your dream scenario Pokemon, the one where, you know, everyone kind of like got super twisted over that fan art that like was on reddit or whatever of like could, could you imagine a world where this is the pokemon and what it looks like right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um that i think is something i could have been interested in i enjoyed the brief time that we played together in pokemon let's go pikachu i thought it looked good it was relaxing i was like this is a pretty mindless game i was like this is fine um i knew deep down that this is exactly what nintendo was going to do with the next Pokemon because it's predictable. And quite frankly, it's it's kind of tired and boring. And I know that that's coming from somebody who isn't a longtime Pokemon fan. And so I just can't get excited about the same formula 
time and time and time and time again. But I can't also fault Nintendo for not wanting to deviate. While you were speaking, I looked up the sales numbers um, on the Nintendo website for not only the 3DS Pokemon titles, but the Nintendo Switch for um, Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu. I mean, and those games, which are essentially like fancy HD skins of old Pokemon games, sold 10 million pieces, right? Like, so how do you how do you get motivated or tell a team, you know, we need to do something different? It was interesting. I was listening to Tim talk about it because he did like a live reacts. Um, he, of course, you know, uh, like you, Brittany, a, a giant Pokemon fan. And he was just saying, like, there needs to be some kind of a downturn or something has to fall off or be bad in order for them to, like, change up the formula. And I was like, that's really disappointing to think that in order to innovate in a franchise that's been running for decades, that it needs to do poorly in order to do something cool and different. I think that that's sad that a, a game that's clearly been successful year after year, that the creators of this game don't go, hey, we've done it. We've proved we can do it. We can absolutely keep doing this if we want to. But what if we gave our fans and people who maybe aren't our fans something really different and innovative to look forward to? Doesn't mean we can't, that doesn't mean we're abandoning the formula of the past forever. But what if we tried something that was unique and different for this brand new console, the Nintendo Switch. And I think, I think that's what Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee were for them. You think that that was incredibly innovative? No, but I'm saying that's what I think that that was in their minds. Oh, no. Oh. And, that to me, and that to me is disappointing and sad. I think that they can do better. I think that they have proven that this formula works, and I get why they want to do it again. But like to me, I'm like, cool, that's fine. It's not for me. There's other people doing really awesome things in the game development space that's pushing the boundaries of where technology is at. And Nintendo is in a perfect position with how aggressively they're pushing Switch sales and how well they're positioned in the overall software market with their first party exclusives that they could take the risk and do something really cool and they're not so and that bums me out yeah so nintendo's obviously never been huge in the risk-taking department and oh i disagree look at look at the cardboard stuff from last no, year i'm talking about in terms of their staple franchises like look how much mario has evolved over the last how many years and like donkey what Kong. about breath of the wild hmm what about Breath of right, the Wild? Because that the was game a before huge Breath of departure. the Wild, which was God, was that Skyward Sword? I think it was. Like, wasn't that great? And so, part of me is like, okay, so clearly, the part, part of the reason that Breath of the uh, Skyward Sword just wasn't that fan was it that really the last one? Yeah, wasn't that fantastic main console game? Was because they reused so many of those environments, and that was a common complaint that a lot of people had. So now you go to Breath of the Wild, which is which was from what I've read, you know, like a joy for Nintendo to create because it brought them back to days of the legend of Zelda on NES, where you just kind of had this big world and it's like, okay, go explore. And even, you know, Ocarina of time and twilight princess did that to some extent, but the switch is what enabled them to push it as far as they did. Now with Pokemon, this is the first core game. And so I think, on a console. And so I'm thinking it's going to be one of those like little baby steps. How long is it going to take us to get to a point where we might have this open world like pipe dream? It clearly isn't going to be this game, but this could be the first step of that happening. And I say could because like like you said, like why do they need to innovate? You would hope that it's because now they have this platform, the switch and expectations are just a little higher this time. 
but the expectations aren't going to mean shit because people are going to buy this game regardless, even if it doesn't live up to their expectations. So you would hope that they'd want to explore the power of the Switch and what it enables to, them to do with this franchise that's been around for 23 years, right? Right. Like, And I'm with you. Like, They don't have to innovate. They don't have to do anything different. They can keep doing the same formula and they're going to keep selling an average of 10 to 15 million copies per iteration, which is a fantastic number. I'm just saying... I'm looking at Nintendo going, you're crushing it right now. You're doing so many cool things. You have so many successes. I want you to want more for yourself. That's all. And that's fair. And and also, to be fair, we don't know much about this game yet, right? This is just based off of what we've seen. If they announce, but what, from what we have seen, it does look like it's not. It looks like it's the same fucking thing. It it does. No, you're not wrong. It, it does. Pretty. I'm just trying to hold judgment before I'm like it's the same game. Yeah, I just, we don't I know vivid, mechanically. True, exactly but I vividly remember right. covering Pokemon X and Y when that game was announced, or those games were announced, and it was the same like drip feed of of new mechanics and new battles and the new regions and how the the new mega evolutions were going to work. Like I remember doing all of those stories at Escapist News now and like having to be like this collection of videos and it, me just being like cool, there's like some new battle mechanics and it was interesting hearing Tim also talk about how one of the things that he finds frustrating about these continued releases is that while there's definitely a lot of difference in the in-depth of how the battle mechanics work, it seems that Game Freak never really has a connective thread that they kind of make these new mechanics and then they dump them. And then they make them and then they dump them and then they make them and then they dump them. And then so it's like, wait, but some of that stuff was good. Why are you getting rid of it? Yeah, like your Pokemon following you around. Why you get rid of that? Um, I completely yeah, I was like, agree. That was the one thing I was actually really disappointed yeah. about with this trailer. I was like, Where's my show Star-Lex? me a Pokemon to come out and like hang out with me. Right. Because why so, not? You clearly have the, the technological power to make this happen. Yeah. So again, just to like reiterate, from what I've seen, I'm like, okay, cool. This... This looks about what I would expect. Obviously, I wanted more. I really wasn't expecting much more. And now what it really comes down to is the mechanics and how this game plays. And what new ways are they trying to innovate with this game? And either way, it's going to sell a metric fuck ton. And people will be happy with it. But uh, I do hope that this is a step in the direction of a different kind of Pokemon game. You know, we're going to get Gen 2 of the Let's Go installations i'm sure we're going to continue getting those and that will cater to that casual audience and then hopefully we'll start getting these core games that will just kind of become more difficult and more strategic and not as easy as flipping your wrist to catch a pokemon we'll see yeah we shall oh. indeed yeah i mean but i want to like say one final thing and that's because i know that i can already hear the people coming after me for being a nintendo hater and i'm not I think this game looks totally fine. I think the graphics look nice. I think the trainers look cute as they always do. Mm-hmm. I think the starting Pokemon are are fine. I, I, I would get down with Score Bunny. He looks cool. <laughs> but like, I just, I, I just, I'm just like, it's as it, for me as a peripheral Pokemon fan, as somebody who appreciates what this franchise has done for video games and for gaming culture and gaming communities at large. I am just like, cool. That looks totally fine. Cool. I mean, yeah. Good job. That's it. did the thing. So what I was laughing about earlier was the in the trailer, Andrea was watching it, and she was like, wait. (laughs) 
when Scorbunny comes down, his feet like sort of light the grass on fire, and then Sobble. She's like, it looks it like looks Sobble's like he's peeing on, on it. it. <laughs> and I laughed because I was like, it does look like that, but it, I'm pretty sure he's spitting it out of his mouth. But still funny. And when but I watched it, it, but it's off screen. Who it made say? me laugh. <laughs> Who's to say where that water came from? Oh, boy. We can only oh, speculate. The dark fan fiction begins right here. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. So next up. Oh, also real quick. Mewtwo yes, was in the Detective Pikachu trailer. And that's fucking Oh, yeah. Bonkers. That trailer was cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's all. I'm, and Pikachu I'm all, did I'm a swear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need a Pokemon game that's like Detective Pikachu. That would be fucking awesome. Because I feel like this yeah. movie is going to appeal to everyone. Um, I think you both need to come here in May and we can all go see it together. Oh, my God. It'd be fun. Pika, pika. <sighs> oh, Pokemon. All right. Next up, we've got. Oh, my gosh. We've been recording for so long already. Uh, Funcom delves into the Dune universe with a gaming deal with Legendary Entertainment and Herbert Properties, LLC. So this is the press release that Funcom put out. There were several write-ups about this. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Um, I just had to bring it up because I loved the Dune games. Dune 2, the RTS back on PC, was one of my favorite games. And I just overall loved the Dune book franchise. Um, So Legendary Entertainment and Herbert Properties, LLC, have reached a licensing agreement with Funcom to develop a video game based on the work of Frank Herbert's Doom, one of the world's best-known science fiction universes. The announcement comes as Legendary gears up for its already highly anticipated film adaptation of Doom, directed by critically acclaimed filmmaker Dennis Villeneuve. I'm sorry, Dennis. I messed up your name. And featuring an all-star cast that now includes uh, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Josh Brolin, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. That cast is like bananas. So exciting. Development will begin in Funcom's Oslo studio later this year. Quote, Funcom has a strong history of working with beloved sci-fi fantasy intellectual properties, including our bestsellers Age of Conan and Conan Exiles, said Funcom CEO Rui Casas. Uh, interesting. I got to meet Rui at Dice this year. Hmm. So many of us at Funcom, myself included, are huge fans of Frank Herbert's work and are thrilled to have the opportunity to collaborate with Legendary and Herbert Properties to bring the iconic Dune universe to life for gamers all over the globe. So we don't know what this game is going to be. And um, Funcom had reached out asking if I wanted to come see Conan at GDC and a secret title. Mm. And I'm wondering if this Doom game is that secret title. Um, I have nothing to report as of yet. Their PR team has not confirmed or denied it. Um, but I'm crossing my fingers that I get to see it at GDC. But okay. um, no promises. So what, do you, what would you like to see this be? Like if this were your, your Pokemon Breath of the Wild kind of thing. Oh, no, you're going to have her set up her expectations uh, only hey, to have be dashed. Well, no, listen, I honestly would be perfectly happy if they just brought back Dune as an RTS because it's been so many years. We're talking like 20 plus years since that game. Um, so I would be happy for them to just make a modern version of that because it's been so long. But I mean, if I was going to like pipe dream pick whatever I wanted it to be, I would pick like an open world RPG because the 
different houses in that game and the different environments from the different planets. Like, there's so much room to make something really amazing. But that's not really Funcom as a developer. So I think we, like, really need to remember, like, who they are and what they do. And I I don't think something like that is within their scope, at least from their previous titles. It's not. But an RTS, a kick-ass RTS, absolutely is. And so it's all I'm really hoping for or asking for. All right. Um, but that's all I have to say about that. Hopefully I'll be able to update you guys more about that soon. Um, so this next story is pretty long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but the story headline is overkills. The walking dead is no more after skybound terminates deal. So the write up comes from polygon. And of course we've been hearing some scuffling about (laughs) this maybe being true. Now it's confirmed. The console version of overkills. The walking dead has been canceled in just about the most definitive way possible. Skybound entertainment, the company that licenses and manages the walking dead video games said yesterday terminated its contract with the bankrupt Starbreeze studio and will discontinue all efforts on the game. Quote, we did our best to work with Starbreeze and resolve many issues that we saw in the game, but ultimately Overkill's The Walking Dead did not meet our standards, nor is it the quality that we were promised. We are exceedingly sorry to our fans and share in their disappointment in the game. Now, it's interesting that this story comes up because you guys may remember not that long ago, last week, there was a... Yeah, there was a story that it's canceled, and then Starbreeze is like, yo, dog, we didn't cancel it. It's not canceled. And then Skybound now has come in to be like, actually, this is our IP. We're canceling this hot garbage tire fire. Um, Just as a reminder, as Polygon writes, Overkill's The Walking Dead launched back in November of 2018 for Windows PC after being announced by Starbreeze back in 2014. The launch date was delayed twice by more than a year, and what did launch was panned by critics and faced anemic player count. In January, Starbreeze postponed the game's PS4 and Xbox One launch indefinitely and thus led to rumors that it was being canceled. Um, and then, of course, you know, we've already previously talked about all of the issues that Starbreeze was going through, including their bankruptcy filing. And the company's prognosis was cited when Other Side Entertainment brought back the publishing rights to System Shock 3 earlier this month. Um, basically, they were having a bunch of problems. And I think 505 Games, who was supposed to be publishing, wanted to make good on it if they could. But it's clear that this is just not going anywhere. Uh, I think it's worth noting that Polygon reached out to representatives of Starbreeze, Skybound, and 505 for additional comment and to inquire about the fate of the PC version, which is still listed on Steam, for $29.99. They said at the time of printing they do not have a reply, but then they updated the article to say that they got a pair of statements this week about how Skybound has filed a license-related complaint with Steam regarding The Walking Dead and that it's expected to be taken down from the storefront within a near future. The first statement said the two parties are in discussion and Starbreeze is trying to resolve the issue to find an amicable solution with the ambition to finish and deliver season two of the game, which is kind of like, why? why? Just let it Just let like, it go. Yeah, like, dude, you lost. You, you done screwed up. Wow. You can't always fix your mistakes, man. Sometimes so, yeah. you just got to take it on the chin and realize it and learn and move on. So what's the yep. fate now of Starbreeze? Like, where do they go Probably from here? Probably nothing good. Probably. I've, yeah, I think they're done. They're done. I think if they filed for bankruptcy and they've had their biggest IP pulled from them by the IP holder. So bad. Like, that's why they're trying to resolve Payday this. ain't going to save them. Right? Like, the Walking Dead's <laughs> the only thing that's keeping them alive, which is funny. Yeah. Oh, didn't they sell? I'm pretty sure they sold Payday, didn't they? Oh, they pulled it? No, I think it was... I think they sold the IP. Mm. Let's see. 
No, so they because Starbreeze acquired it from Five Hundred Five back in twenty sixteen, but I thought recently. Hmm. Hmm. I don't remember hearing about that, but maybe it happened. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's just just unfortunate all around. Yeah. Really shitty. Especially since 4505 on Twitter when they issued that statement. That was like, don't worry, you guys. It's not canceled. It's just being merely postponed while we work on development. No. Yeah. Yeah. Communication's important. Indeed. Well, rip overkills the walking dead. All right. Next up, the Division 2's roadmap and DLC pass outlined. So this comes from GameSpot. Tom Clancy's The Division 2, of course, launches PS4, Xbox One, and PC in just a couple of weeks. And just as Ubisoft did with the previous title, the developer plans to support it with a regular stream of free post-release content. Ahead of the game's upcoming open beta, Ubisoft has outlined that content for The Division 2 in its first year. Let me see here. Ubisoft will gradually introduce new episodes, modes, specializations, and more. It all begins with Tidal Basin, a new stronghold that's set to arrive shortly after launch. Also coming not long after release will be Operation Dark Hours, the series' first eight-player raid. Following that, Ubisoft will roll out post-launch episodes titled DC Outskirts Expeditions for this summer. The episode will feature two additional main missions, as well as a new mode that has players investigate the fate of a lost convoy. The second episode, Pentagon the Last Castle, will follow sometime in the fall, and likewise will introduce two new main missions, while episode three rounds out the year this winter. They also detailed their year one season pass, which includes seven days of early access to the first three episodes, eight classified assignments, three new specializations, in addition to the three that you're going to get in the end game, that demolitionist, the survivalist, and the sharpshooter. And you're also going to get classified achievement rewards, which looks like, according to this image, it looks like gun charms, like similar yeah. to what they have in Rainbow Six Siege. Um, there's a special agent word outfit for your agent. You get a scout emote, uh, which I can't tell... If that emote is supposed to be with that image, there's a, a a woman holding binoculars up to her face, and I can't tell if that's supposed to display the outfit she's wearing or if that's what the emote's going to look like. I think she's would be looking through the binoculars, would be yeah. my guess. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess, too. And then, of course, additional bounties and projects to expand in-game. The pass will cost you 40 bucks, but all of the content that we talked about before will be free. Um, and we'll, we're going to get into what happened at the Division 2 event that we were at in D.C. in the third segment of the show. Um, but Brittany and I had the opportunity to sit down with multiple members of the massive team, including Julian Garrity, the creative director, who we released an interview with before. And you know, one of the things we asked him about was the DLC and you know why they have made such an aggressive post-launch plan and why they're talking about it so early. And he said, you know, one of the things we learned from the Division was – not to split our player base up. That that was a mistake, and we don't want to do that again. So they're going to find other sources of revenue for the post-launch content instead of selling these packs because they want to keep the community playing together. And I thought that that was smart, smart, very smart. Wise. They should make these little backpack trophies, but in real life, I would yeah. I would have that cute little fry thing or like that cute little donut on a cute. Oh, the thing. little charm looking oh, dudes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, mm. wouldn't those be cute? Make some merch, guys. Yeah, throw some money at you. It's, but yeah, I think it's interesting now how I mean, especially with a games as service game, it actually does you better to start talking about your plans earlier, even before launch, 
Um, I think players are now more expecting it. Whereas again, if you like did anything like that before, granted, usually it was paid DLC. Then the people get huffy about you tell them you're going to give them a bunch of free shit. They're usually okay. <laughs> usually, usually yeah. okay. And what's crazy is that they're saying the main campaign about forty hours or so, but then they're tacking all this other stuff on. Now you're looking at hundreds of hours, is what they're saying. Hot diggity damn! And I do want, and we'll talk about this in hands on and whatnot. But what I want to say is. I have a feeling that this is going to be a very, I mean, it's going to have its bumps, but I have a feeling compared to all the other games of service we've seen launch recently, this is going to be a smooth launch. And I think if anyone can pull all this off with like a stellar landing, it's going to be the division two. Well, I mean, that team has already done it in this. This is, ain't their first rodeo. Uh, you would think, but, but not to I mean, say, oh, that's you're you're correct. You're correct. That's not to say <laughs> that it hasn't happened before where people make the same mistakes twice. But yeah, so just as a reminder, the open beta is running this weekend. It's uh, by the time you're listening to the show, we'll have already kicked off on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. It lasts through March 1st. It will feature three main missions and five side missions. And unlike the previous private test, the level cap will be raised to eight. And there will be additional skirmish PvP map called Capital Runes and a skill called the Chem Launcher. So if you are interested at all in The Division, you can play it for free on your platform of choosing for, for, Nintendo for a few days. Yes, for a few days. Um, all right, like I said, we're going to hold any more discussion on The Division until the third segment where we'll have lots to talk about. Um, and the final story that we're going to talk about in the news segment this week is a dumpster a fire gross terrible one mm. video game publisher apologizes after hosting ama on hn so this write-up comes from kotaku edgy marketing decisions have a way of blowing up in companies faces but rarely do they so immediately and spectacularly detonate like this THQ Nordic, publisher of games like Darksiders 3, decided to host an AMA, an Ask Me Anything, on 8chan, an image board notorious for everything from Gamergate ties to stalking and harassment to child porn. Bathingly, bafflingly, that's the word, THQ Nordic thought it would go just fine. Predictably, it did not. The company announced its plan in a tweet saying that the opportunity was here and we took it. We got approached in a very friendly and polite manner and we're assured said person. Shout out to Mark. Oh, That's my Mark. favorite part. <laughs> Let's take care of the nasty part. stuff. And then the Twitter backlash was swift and vicious. Um, and Mark, whoever he is, did not take care of the nasty stuff. The ensuing AMA contained pornographic imagery, Hitler references and means, copious questions about lolly, racial slurs, and so much more. There were also more standard questions about THQ Nordic's future plans, which PR marketing director Philip Brock replied to. In one case, a user said, please don't censor any games, nor appeal to the sock juice crowd. That's the so, 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 social, social justice. Social just? How do you say that? Social justice? Social justice. I've never seen this abbreviation before. You guys are doing just fine as is. To which Brock replied, <clears throat> thanks. We'll try to stay that way. Uh, the content of HN's users' questions and posts is not at all surprising given the board's history. Um, and then we don't need to go into that, basically. Just know that they were blacklisted from Google search back in 2015. For some real for bad containing shit. suspected child abuse content, which is horrifying to think about. Um, and then, of course, an ensuing apology followed. 
Uh, THQ Nordic said, I personally agreed to this AMA without doing any proper due diligence to understand the history and the controversy of the site. I do not condone child pornography, white supremacy, or racism in any shape or form, wrote Brock, adding that he is terribly sorry for the short-sightedness of his decision and promises to be far more vigorous in my assessment of these activities in the future. Brock further clarified his stance in a statement to Kotaku saying, I do not condone child pornography, white supremacy, or racism in any shape or form. This was not about being edgy. This blew up, and I very much regret having done it in the first place, to which I say, fuck you. You knew exactly what you were doing. And if you look at any of his responses in that AMA, which don't, by the way, don't go there. It's disgusting and gross. Yeah, don't go there. You do not want this on your computer. Also, people immediately told him, when he tweeted that he was going to do this on 8chan, the replies on Twitter were instant and bad. They were like, and what bad. are you doing? Stop. Don't do this. This is a mistake. If you look at the feed, it's just like, how did you not for a second? If it's you and you're like, hey, I'm going to do an AMA on this site that maybe you're sort of familiar with but not familiar with, but then literally hundreds of people instantly say, no, bro, don't. Don't do it. Do you not stop and go, hmm, why are all these people telling me not to do this? Maybe and I also, should, I'm a PR and marketing director. That's what I want to know. Who Who is this gentleman? Like, what has he done in the past? What are his credentials to be so out of touch? Um, I'm a member of a, a group on Facebook, and it's full of community managers for very large developers and publishers and blah, blah, blah. And just reading this thread, and it's like, you're right. Like, how how do you get into this position Especially, you know, with a company like THQ Nordic, which isn't small fries necessarily, and not know how this works. Does not, you know, but like, ah. and and I don't believe you because, like, he, not you, Brittany, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> because of the, especially like the fir- the way the first tweet was framed, very much indicates that they knew it wasn't a great idea. Yeah, because they were, they, it was something along the lines of like, we're about to do an AMA here. Why? Oh, well, like, why? I don't know. We don't know either. You know, like sort of like, a, oh, what? Like, what are we doing? We don't know. And if you are framing it in that way, if you didn't know, if you really had no idea, you'd be like, hey, we're doing an AMA here. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Even us as what's good, you know, we will get approached from time to time to guest on this, that or the other or do an interview with some website. And the first thing we always do is we, you know, we vouch for and we do a quick Google search. And within a few minutes, you can kind of, you kind of know what kind of platform is you're signing up on. It's, it's, it's yeah, that's why I, I don't buy this. Oh my goodness. I had no idea this was going to be a shit show. Like that's him literally saving face and it's disgusting and he should be fired. Quite yes. frankly, I can't believe that THQ hasn't immediately put out a statement saying Brock no longer works with the company. So I looked at him up on LinkedIn, Philip Brock. He's apparently been with THQ Nordic for seven years and six months. And he's been the PR marketing director since November 2015. And it says, heading all PR and marketing related activities on a global scale, coordinating rollouts with different agencies and trying to achieve the best positioning and exposure for the company yeah. as a whole. Plus, of course, its biggest projects. Currently working on Biomutant, Darksiders 3, Fade to Silence, MX versus ATV All Out, Titan Quest, this is the police to Wreckfest, Aquinox, Deep Descent, and more. Also, LOLOL, trying to achieve the best positioning and exposure for the company as a whole. Yeah. That's just, see, that's that's going to be a yikes for me. It's definitely oh, a big yikes. God. And, you know, it's like I 
I like to believe that, you know, if someone is innocent and they make a stupid mistake and they literally have no clue what they're doing, that it shouldn't be a one and done unless you do something absolutely awful, awful, terrible like this. This really sucks here. But it's just it doesn't make sense that this, if anything, if, if no action is going to be taken, at least demote this, <laughs> demote him into a position yeah. where he's not in charge of marketing because clearly has a lot to learn if he doesn't even realize according to him if he didn't even have the knowledge to do a quick search before he realized what platform they were putting he was putting them on even if okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give him so much fucking like leeway here so let's say he had no fucking idea didn't know what 8chan was cool all right don't didn't didn't feel like googling it okay fine you just agreed and some dude named mark is like hey come do an ama on my website (laughs) Sure. Some dude named Mark. Okay, Mark. I trust you. You sound like a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) But then you get there. First off, Mark has already warned you. Apparently that there will be some some form of nasty stuff. This is a this is a prerequisite for coming into our house. Our house. It's a little bit messy. I apologize. It's a hoarder's paradise. (laughs) And then you get there. Surely you would then figure out immediately what you had just walked into. Say, oh, I'm sorry. No, thank you. Turn around and leave. But he is sat there and engaged for at least a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And to some. So that's the part where I'm like, that is unforgivable. Like, okay, again, even if you hadn't known all of that other shit, you knew the minute you walked in. You knew the minute you logged into that site. You knew as soon as people started posting questions what this was. There's also a post right here where someone said, where are the big titty lolies at? And then he responded and said, you got them already, we'd say. And there's a picture of these two girls who look very young with these big ass boobs being grabbed by a very muscular man. Like, and he was that. I just looked up what this was because I don't know if it's lawless or lolies. And like, I'm sure there's there's a hentai like Lolita. Um, it's so, it's so, it's simply, (laughs) it's, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, there's a whole, there's a whole article on aminoapps.com says, it says, what are lolis or lawless? I don't know. Apologies to all the hentai experts out there. It's a simple (laughs) ignorance to say that the lollies are just cute little girls. It's more than it always has been. So today I will educate those seeking the knowledge of those who want to learn the truth. Um, so there's three aspects, their appearance, their reason for existence and their importance, um, they appear to be little girls, but many can actually be older than they seem. The trait is most likely because they are vampire, other creatures that stop growing, and that he goes into this whole the weird fandom part. This, yeah, yeah. This, this is like the weird like Japan part of it, right? Like so, basically, this idea of, like the sexualizing characters that look like they're underage, right? Right, exactly. That's exactly what it is, and this this is the but part not yeah. because technically, yeah, exactly. That's sort of a mindset. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, technically, just, she's a thousand years old. You're like, okay. Yes. Cool. Yes. Bro- cool, Bronxer, cool, cool. whatever, whatever your name was. It, yeah. it, so basically, it, yeah. Brock. Brock, if you clearly had, if you truly and honestly had absolutely no idea what you were doing. I, actually, I'm not even going to continue with that because there's no way. If you've been in this industry for that long, you're very aware of the culture and what's acceptable and what's not and how divided it can be. And to engage in that sort of conversation is just, you don't do that. No, sir. Anyway. Nope. Rip nope, in peace. 
I wouldn't even say that. I'd say get fucked. <laughs> That's what I would say. I don't even think you get to rip in peace. Disgusting. I don't want to think about 8chan. You put 8chan in my feed all week? How dare you? You should be ashamed of yeah. yourself. Also, I also read that people were going after THQ Nordic as a whole and even the partners that they work with. And I, that's the part I don't agree with. Like, no. that's no, it's not on them. You know, it's not it, their partner's fault that this PR marketing guy made a terrible, catastrophic choice. That's not their partner's fault. Right. He got swindled by a guy named Mark. Yeah. But I, I do hold THQ Nordic responsible for not making a swifter penalty or swifter decision without making a better statement about it. Quite frankly, I think their statement was unsatisfactory. Well, yeah, because it was the of, same guy. The, this guy runs yeah. the PR department. <laughs> of course. Yeah, like the CEO of THQ Nordic should have come out and made a statement completely denouncing everything that happened, saying, oh my gosh, I turned my back for one fucking second and this fuckboy comes along and is doing an AMA on HN and making these inappropriate comments. But I don't know what... The, I don't know what the culture at THQ Nordic is like. I hope that somebody out there who is much better at doing investigative journalism than I am, obviously, is doing some kind of a story or a deep dive into this to find out, like, what the heck happened and what the heck is going on at THQ Nordic. Um, but it, I, I think there was a lot of, of that same sentiment from people being incredibly disappointed. A lot of the uh, gifts that I saw in response were the Star Wars, you were the chosen one. Um, <laughs> the gifts, you know, with um, um, Ewan McGregor being very sad. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people that had high expectations or high hopes for what THQ Nordic was building because they've bought so many great IPs over the last couple of years. And like to have Bio this Mutant come out... Cool. Yeah, and, and I'm not trying to say that the projects and development don't look cool still. And obviously, I don't want a blanket statement, everybody who works at THQ Nordic, because I'm sure there are hundreds of wonderful people who had nothing to do with this and who are just as disgusted as we are. Um, but I, I do expect that the leadership of THQ Nordic should have done more. Yes. And that's all I have to say about it. There you go. <gasps> all right. Shout out to Mark indeed. Let's roll. <laughs> Mark. Who the hell is Mark? Fucking Mark. I want to know who Mark is. I don't care about Mark. He works at HN. Mark can also get fucked. I don't think he works there. Or maybe he... Uh, I don't know. Ah. Uh, you don't? I want the untold story of Mark. <laughs> Jason Schreier, go find out but, who this Mark But if is. he's moderating the 8chan board, I kind of also don't care about Mark. No, that's fair. <laughs> Mark is not a person we need to know. If you have an account on 8chan, delete it right now. Just, just delete it. <laughs> that goes for you, Philip Brock. Who I'm like, made an account <laughs> to do this AMA. Jeez. All right, that's it. We're done. I'm done. I'm, I'm done being angry about it. Um, okay, let's take a break, shall we? Yeah. Uh, when we come back from that break, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. And I know a lot of you have been playing anthems. We're definitely going to be talking about that. And Brit, of course, has been playing something old. As Brooke does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys in a minute. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. This is where we talk about what we've been playing. 
And this week's hands-on impressions are brought to you by Bespoke Post. When you're constantly on the go, grinding away at the office or an anthem or hanging out with friends, there's not much time to think about upgrading your style or apartment. That's why we love getting a new box of awesome from Bespoke Post every new month. These guys are out scouting for quality and unique products to send in each box. And now you can experience it too at boxofawesome.com. So recently, we all got sent a box of really unique and different office products. Do you guys remember the name of the box? No. Was it called? Oh, no. Was it like, was it like work <laughs> or something? Because they're always like a play on words for what's in the yeah. box. They're very clever and we're not being very clever right now. But what was really neat about it is that it included some items that you would maybe see like in a catalog, but you would probably never buy for yourself. Like Steimer, you said your favorite thing from the box was the hourglass. It's a magnetic hourglass. Yeah. So um, when you flip it over on one side, like the way it falls down, like the, I don't know what technically is They're in like there. They're like metal shavings. Yeah. It's something. It, uh, and like it makes cool formations at the bottom. Which is neat. It's like the it's like the shavings that are inside of an etch a sketch. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like yeah, and yeah. it's it's a minute long timer, and that's also a thing I really like out of it too, because you can just flip it, and then you can kind of tilt it a little bit because the magnets on the bottom, and like try to make cool designs with it. It's just the little things in life. Yeah, it was really neat, and I love the more basic part of it, which is the giant calendar that you can write on. Because I was I was saying before the show that. I love drawing on things and I used to keep a whiteboard in my office when I actually had an office. Um, and, and now like the office is the studio and there's no place for me to put a whiteboard. And so I was like, ah, oh, this giant calendar notepad is the best. Um, if you like giant calendar notepads and cool magnetic hourglasses, maybe you want to get started by visiting boxofawesome.com and answering a few short questions that's going to help those folks get a feel for the kind of boxes that are going to go with your style. Whether you're in search of the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet-setting in style, Bespoke Post improves your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. The first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. Then you're going to have five days to change colors or sizes and add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. And you will have the option to pick from cool things like barrel aging kits, limited edition cigars, weekender bags, and classy dop kits. And don't forget, a dop kit is just a fancy name for a toiletries kit. Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man or woman. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter code What's Good at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com. Code what's good at checkout for 20% off your first box at Bespoke Post. Theme boxes for people that give a damn. Yeah, I'm excited for the new one coming in. It's a pickled. I'm going to learn to pickle things. Ooh, you like pickles. I what's the first pick- thing you're going to pickle? I have no idea. I feel like the options are limitless. I could do cucumbers. I could do asparagus. I could do eggs. Oh, girl. Pickled wow. eggs thing. are... My, da- my pickled, dad used to pickle eggs. Yeah, pickled eggs thing. are a specialty back in my home state because it's a very Scandinavian thing to eat. Oh. Well, I'll let, I'll keep you updated. I'll be Chef Brombacher, pickler of all the things. Feet. That's also a specialty back where I'm from. Mm. Um. All right. So let's talk about what we've been playing. Um, as we mentioned, we're going to keep our the Division 2 
impressions for the third segment because we have a lot to talk about there from our trip to Washington, D.C. But there was another big game that finally released on all platforms instead of a wonky early PC release. <laughs> I, I was going to say Stimer's <laughs> booty because that's in our show notes, but that was just not a good like introduction to her booty. No. Have My you- booty's not wonky. Okay, so late, so real quick, now I have to explain myself. No, you have a nice booty. It's very nice and firm. Um, Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So in our show notes, it's an active Google Doc. So we constantly, you've heard us talk about how we'll write notes in there for each other. And so I saw that Steimer was down there writing that she was playing Anthem. So I, in my little se- section of the document, wrote I was playing Steimer's booty. And then we proceeded to have a conversation via Google Docs about her booty. And it yes, was, I said, oh, really? And I said, it was very nice. And I and, said, oh, uh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And that's our conversation. So anyway, yeah. totally unrelated to Anthem, but go on. <laughs> um, so, Steimer, I think you probably have had, I'm going to guess you've had the most amount of time with Anthem since Britt and I had to fly out to D.C. on Sunday. So I had all day Friday. So I sunk a good like 10 hours or so um, in on Friday. Haven't finished the story yet. And then I played for like another brief hour or two on Saturday um, before I went to Tim and Gia's engagement party. Shout out to Tim and Gia. Congratulations. They finally got engaged. The news. He put up a really cute video um, where he proposed to her. And so we went to celebrate with them. So I really haven't gotten to play much at all. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I mean, uh, I think you actually technically were still farther along in me in level when you left. But uh, I've been playing. Yeah, it was like level 16. Sorry? I think level 16 is where I ended up. Yeah, that's still above me. But I, um, I've been playing. I played over the weekend. I haven't had time to play during the week. Um, so far, here's what's, what I find interesting about it. I'm having a really decent time playing this game alone. Uh, because actually, I think that the way that they've built it, level design-wise, uh, mission design-wise, lends itself more to a single player playing in a multiplayer than it does when you group up. So what I mean by that is the flow makes a lot of sense if you're somebody who's not playing with other people because you'll be in Fort Tarsus, which is very much your own space. And then you can just automatically get grouped up when you want to go on a mission with other people. You don't have to talk to them. They So far, I've had really positive experiences. No one has bothered me. No one has figured out a way to troll. Um, Everyone's just there to shoot shit and have a good time. It's been great. And you're not chatting Um, with them? Not chatting with them. I don't say anything to them. They're literally... It's basically just like having smarter NPCs that don't have chatter, which is a little sad because, like, you and I love the Bioware follower chatter. But, um... So you do your mission. Um, Do not echo back in my ears, you dumb technology. (laughs) You do the mission, then you basically have to... You get dumped back to Fort Tarsus. And so for me, it works because, again, I'm, I'm playing by myself... I can then go back and be like, oh, you know what? I want to go see who I can talk to. And I'll go around and run around, see all the NPCs, take my time with that. Then when I feel like going on another mission, I can easily jump back into it. It works really nicely if you're playing the game alone. However, I definitely noticed um, some improvements that could be made when we were grouped up together trying to play stuff. It was very much, it it jolts you out in and out too much. I wish you could at least um, queue up like missions or something, if you wanted to do a mm-hmm. few contracts in a row so you wouldn't have to keep going out into the open world um, doing the contracts and then coming back to your individual things. 
getting back in the menu, queuing back up, all hitting your ready again. Those are things that definitely I'm I'm hoping they will optimize in the future and make that flow a little bit better. But as I've been saying, for the most part, I've been playing alone and it's totally fine for me as a single player schmo. Um, I'm really interested in the story. I find the characters pretty interesting as well. So I'm overall pretty pleased with Anthem. I'm playing uh, the Interceptor Javelin is, was my first unlock. I technically have the Storm unlocked as well, but I haven't touched it yet because I'm really enjoying being a little jumpy ninja thing. Like I'm just <laughs> bouncing around. Like the animations on it are so fun. I like the bounciness of it. Uh, and you kind of just like slash the shit out of everything, which is very much what I like to do. So Interceptor right up my alley. And then Andrea, when you were playing, it was nice because you could prime all my enemies and then I would just go up there and and mm. detonate all of them. It was great. So mechanics aside, because you, Steimer, are one of the biggest Bioware fans I know. When you're in Fort Tarsus, you get that Bioware feeling? Uh, it's definitely lighter. But sure. Yeah, as expected. I mean, yeah, it's lighter as as expected, but the main characters themselves definitely see like seem like they have a story, they have a perspective, and that there'll be something interesting there as as it continues. And I just think in general, the world, I understand the story, it's making sense, and I'm kind of sorry. That's a little bit of a dig at Destiny because I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, mean, I but, don't blame you. <laughs> but this one, I'm like, okay, I understand it all. And I'm like, there's, and they're, they're peeling back layers a little bit at a time and I'm enjoying the pace of it. Um, so, so far I'm having a really good time with Anthem. I know that it is apparently an unpopular opinion, but, um, I think everybody already knew I was going to like this game. So I think a lot of people are enjoying Anthem. I think it's just the vocal minority just kind of raising a big stink and trying to make it like it's the cool thing. Cause I've seen that a lot from people saying unpopular opinion. I like Anthem. Like even Greg tweeted that and it's like, no, No. But like, but it's fun, and I think if you, I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people were really worried about whether or not they could play it solo. I'm having a fantastic time solo. So yeah, you don't. Again, you don't have to talk to people. They're there in the missions, but they really don't impact you whatsoever. And if anything, they help you. Like if you get downed, someone will come get you up. I haven't had an issue with anybody being a dick and like leaving you to die. And granted, you could always respawn on your own if you need, like after a certain amount of time. Um, so overall, there's really no downside. And then again, I do think they need to work on the flow when you are actually teamed up with people. Um, but I imagine that they will. I can't. I can't imagine they would leave it that way. So I'm glad to hear that you're having a good time. I look forward to being able to play a little bit more with you guys. I obviously, like my my deeper build is on PS4, not on Xbox, where we were streaming, um, because that's where the Destiny Clan is playing. Um, but I have been doing a lot of watching other people talk about Anthem and hear their complaints, because as you guys are aware, and like I talked about on the stream, I have been getting a ton of shit for some of my opinions about Anthem um, over the last week or so. And I want to be clear that I don't have final thoughts on the game because I haven't finished it yet and I haven't gotten to Endgame. But from everything that I've seen, there are some criticisms that I think that we need to discuss. Um, I agree with you, Steimer. The gameplay is fun. I think the javelins are unique. The flight system is innovative and fantastic and really well executed. I like the cutscenes. I think that there's some really great NPC work that's being done. I do think that 
I haven't spent enough time with my core crew to really get to know them. I feel like they're pretty siloed. And I don't like that, as somebody pointed out, they don't, nobody really moves in Fort Tarsus. Like all of the characters are pretty stationary. But when I think back about Mass Effect or Dragon Age, that's kind of the same formula that BioWare has always had where you always find the NPCs in this one place that are always kind of standing in the same position. And then you engage in a conversation with them and that's when, you know, you have an interaction. So that to me is like, well, that's just as BioWare and, you know, that's the way that their franchises have been. Garrus is always working on those collaborations. <laughs> right? Calibrations. Calibrations. Exactly. Collaborations. Collaborations. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he a YouTuber now? Collaborations. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Joker's always at the front of, uh, front of the Normandy, right? Like, I mean, they have their spots. So, like, that to me is not that egregious. I'm used to that with the Bioware game. <laughs> the points that I wanted to bring up, um, the most recent video that I watched was from Angry Joe, uh, Angry uh, Video Game Nerd Reviews. He has been around for a while, friend of the show. He and I have had the pleasure of working together on several projects over the many years that we've known each other. And he put out a recent video. He put out his Anthem review, and then he put out like a secondary expanded discussion that was over an hour long with um, a couple of other guys that he streams and works with. And he brought up some points that I couldn't quite put a finger on, and then he supplemented his argument with some very compelling B-roll, and so I wanted to bring it up. But also, like, if you want to hear his extended channel or his extended discussion, please visit his channel, um, Angry Joe. And he brought up some of the deep cuts footage from Anthem pre-release streams of the developers from a long time ago, showcasing what the game would look like and how it, in fact, does not look like that at launch. And some of the things that he brought up that I want to talk about are the variety in depth of weapons or lack thereof, um, the way that the progression system works with gear or lack thereof, and of course, ultimately, the matchmaking and story and mission structure. So the first thing is the weapons. We knew, and we had talked about previously, that the weapons weren't going to be the focus of this game. That this wasn't Destiny, where the weapons are the star. That the javelins are the star of this game, and that you should be using the abilities of your javelin more so than the guns. That being said, if you're going to put a gun system in a quote looter shooter which i think that this is classified as you maybe want to put a little bit more thought into the high-end weapon design one of the things that he brought up was the legendary versions of guns are really just a different color of paint that they don't actually look visually different than their non-legendary counterparts and the masterwork is the same thing it's basically just not even a full reskin it's literally just like one section of the gun is a different color paint. And he showed a bunch of different, you know, examples of this. And I was like, dude, I didn't even notice that. Probably because I haven't gotten to a lot of end game content yet. Right? So this gripe hasn't gotten to me yet. I was like, okay, that's a very valid criticism that they should that they should address. Another thing he mentioned was in one of the previous developer streams, when you earned a piece of loot, it popped up in a little pop-up menu in the world to be like, you earned this javelin sniper rifle or whatever. Or you earned this elemental shotgun. And then, like, it came up with the name and a photo of it, and then it, like, disappeared, you know? So it's like, oh, look at this cool piece of loot you got, and then you have to go check it in your inventory later. But now, it's just you just pick up the little diamond in the world, and you have no idea what it is mm. until you get back to the forge. 
that to me is a big miss because if you're going to make a game that's all about the loot and driving a an RPG style of progression that has players focusing on, oh, I'm going to grind this stronghold, you know, a dozen times or more to get loot, you got to make the loot worth getting, right? So I was like, okay, that's a very valid criticism that they need to fix. And another thing that he brought up was gear. And this is really my first major point of contention because as somebody who plays the Storm Javelin, I'm not using my guns too much. So I haven't yet got to the point where I'm like upset about the guns. I think once I get into the end game, I will because I've heard from other people and reading the subreddit that once you get to end game levels, the guns are the only thing that actually do enough DPS to damage some of these high-end bosses in the strongholds that your elemental abilities or your uh, abilities, if, you, uh, if you're like the Colossus, like your, your special gun or whatever, don't do enough damage to actually be efficient in those fights in the end game. And I'm like, oh man, if that's the case, I really, I mean, hopefully they can fix that with a patch where they just change the scaling of the way the DPS works. But I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound good. I hope that's not true. Um, but once again, he pulls up, you know, all this gameplay footage to support his argument. And I'm like, Oops. the more that I watch of it, the sadder and sadder I get. I'm like, oh, God, Joe, you're making all these really good points that are really bad for the game. Um, and so the, the thing about gear that he mentioned is he pulled up the customization stream. So we've talked about this customization stream a couple of times. I did, they did this 40 minute long customization stream where they showed off how you can change the texture of your javelin and the different cloth options and the colors, et cetera, et cetera. If you've played Anthem, you've seen the customization is fantastic and they really let you fine tune your javelin to the way you want it to look. But when it comes to actual different pieces of gear in the stream, when they pulled up the helmet, there was like 10 different helmets on his menu. And right now, I believe there are a maximum of three. And that's only if you have the Legion of Dawn edition. You get the Legion of Dawn armor set. And then there's like another one you get farther down in the game progression. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of fucked up that you're going to ship a game that's $60 and you're not going to release all of the gear sets. Obviously, you want to entice people with content throughout the post-launch, but you can't release a game with three sets of gear. Like, that's wild to even think about. Steimer, have you come across more than three sets of gear in your playtime? Uh, I haven't. I definitely haven't gotten to end game stuff, so I, I would say it too early to say, but no, currently I have not. Brittany, as a hardcore RPG player, how many different sets of armor would you expect to run into in your first 20 hours of play of oh any God. type of RPG? So many to the point where I'm maxing out in my inventory and I have to sell it, sell some and to make room for new... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So I was like, you know, I was upset about it because... I stopped to think about it and I was like, I am having an okay time with my armor because I had the Legion of Dawn armor set and I think it looks pretty cool. But then that was a special bonus that you had to pay extra for that wasn't included in the game. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped to think about it, I was like, yeah, that's kind of not okay. Yeah, that, that there's only one other earnable set. And I'm like, that that makes me upset to stop and think about it because I haven't... I. Like, I, I want to reiterate, the reason why I haven't brought up these things before is because I said very specifically in the last two weeks that I needed to play this to experience it to figure out 
why people were upset. And now that I'm getting there, now that I'm seeing more gameplay streams and more people bringing out supporting footage, not just yelling in an internet forum or in YouTube comments, but actually saying, here's my gripe, and let me show you the reason why it's my gripe. And that's what I that's why I keep pointing back to Joe's video because he supported all of his arguments with supplemental B-roll to be like, let me show you what exactly I'm talking about. And I think that's so important. And while he was doing that, I think the thing that's damning for BioWare is that in their developer stream, they showed all of these things that they've clearly built in the, in the game that aren't in the game now. And so it makes you go, huh, if it was in your developer stream six months ago, why isn't it in the game right now? I get that a game as service needs to roll out certain features on a timed basis post-launch. Gear sets? That doesn't make sense. You should definitely have more than three sets of helmets in the fucking game at launch. Uh-huh. Um, so not not quite sure what's going on there. Yeah, so that, that was sort of that- a puzzler because like even even if they wanted to hold some of them for later, which would be fine in my opinion because they've already said they're not charging uh, right. later. So it's like okay, it's this is not like a, a case where you're holding it back, waiting for people to pay sixty bucks and then trying to charge them ten dollars later. Um, that's not what's happening here, but at least to not, not yet. have, uh, well, knock on wood, <laughs> but, um, I, to not have like, yeah, more than that's not even a handful. It's like, <laughs> I don't Less even know what to call handful. it. <laughs> a, a pinch, a, a couple, a, yeah. pinch. Of armor. a sprinkling, a sprinkling of armor. Um, uh, you know, it, it, I definitely can see why people would be frustrated with that. I'm sure Bioware is hoping that, that people find more uh joy out of like the different materials and stuff for the time being but i do think they need to move on that they need to move on gear and they need to move fast and they need to move on guns it sounds like i need to move fast the uh the way you pick up gear doesn't concern me as much only because to me that seems like a decision that may have been either delayed for like maybe it was buggy whatever um they're like shit we can't quite get this working the way we want it to we just move that out. It's we just move this over here. Uh, and not only that, I do wonder because you can't really equip anything on the fly. So like, I don't know if they then did testing and found out people actually hated knowing what they got at that moment because you couldn't do anything with it. So yeah. it might have been, a, it might have been a that one in particular was one where I'm like, and- I don't really see that as a necessary issue. I agree, mm-hmm. it's fun to see what you got immediately, or maybe it's more. It should be more of a a moment when you're back in Fort Tarsus and you can actually do something with that thing or it's um, they kind of do it on the screen when you come back but honestly there's so much shit happening there you lose any value of like what you may have gotten so I I think they need to figure out what to do there a bit because I do often find myself going back to Fort Tarsus and being like what the fuck did I even get (laughs) like what did I get so like if if they can solve that um I think that they'll be okay I'm sure they're trying to figure it out trying to figure out like a happy medium between i see it in the world but i can't actually get it yet and now i have to play through this mission for like 30 minutes that's an interesting point because i wonder if people were being enticed to like quit their group or whatever and go back to fort tarsus if they got this bomb ass weapon and they're like oh my god i really want to use this piece and then people would get mad that's just one aspect of it but on the other hand you know part of the fun in a game like this is grinding for that specific weapon that you want especially if it has a, a specific area where it drops from and you want to know, like, have I picked it up yet? Have I picked it up yet? Do I have it yet? You don't know until you go back. 
So it's it's an hey interesting. Hey guys, I just got a legendary. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and, and that's what that's what I think is so concerning in looking at the variety of weapons. Like, if the legendary version of the gun is just blue paint instead of red paint with like higher DPS stats, like. That's not exciting. That doesn't make me want to play Tyrant Mine 20 fucking times. Given... Right? Now, this is not me trying to apologize for them, so please don't take it that way. But given what happened with with, the, with what you're saying with the gear sets, I imagine that's not what these will look like for very long. I have to imagine they're going to beef that up. Um, I mean, they have to. I mean, I know that Mark Dara, the executive producer of the game, mentioned in the last stream that they did right before they put the day one patch out that they are at the moment experimenting with gear sets that have buffs and have specific gameplay uh, advantages. Give me all the buffs. Right. So like in Assassin's Creed, where you were a full set, you get a specific, you know, um, gameplay advantage. Yeah, you get some sort of a boost. And so they're the he said that they were looking at that. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. But the more I think about it, the more that I stew on it and ponder every piece that's lining up, the more I'm like, wow, was I wrong? Was I so wrong that they are putting out a game that is completely half baked? And Uh, I think you like Destiny, so you can't talk. (laughs) No, no, hold on. And Destiny charges you more down the line. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Before I... I'm not done making my point. Okay. I want to be clear. This game is fun. I'm having a great time playing. I'm going to continue to play. And I... A lot of the problems that Anthem has, Vanilla Destiny also had. And I'm not making any apologies for that. But I will say that Vanilla Destiny was in 2014. And that the way that that team... Bungie and Activision learned over years what the player base wants and what they should get, I think, shows that they were listening to their community and they've made a bunch of changes. Is it perfect? Of course not. I still rant about Destiny. I was going to say, yeah, because um, I feel like we've had but, countless... Yeah, yeah. sorry. Destiny yeah, 2 didn't reason, learn anything from Destiny 1. Right, but the reason why people put thousands of hours into Destiny, both r- original Destiny and D2, is because the gameplay loop is satisfying enough and the gear is good. The armor sets are good, they're varied, and the guns are amazing. And there's so many different types of them. And the gameplay loop is satisfying and it doesn't have the pain points that the gameplay loop in Anthem does. And I think that's worth noting because you look at it and go, okay... I'm willing to make some excuses for Bioware for their shortcomings at launch, knowing that this isn't the style of game they normally do, knowing that clearly their development focused on the javelins and the flight system in the game. And that's and that's the highlight of it so far, right? Is that flying feels fantastic, and I love how the javelins are very unique and different. But I go, if you're going to do a looter shooter or a games as service, you have to have a hook why people are going to keep coming back. And as much fun as it is to fly, the endless loading screens going in and out of the forge, in and out of the launch bay, and in and out of Fort Tarsus are becoming weary. I am becoming tired of always seeing a loading screen. I I guess like the silver lining is at least they're short. But like why, if I'm in Fort Tarsus... Is there a loading screen for me to go into the forge? 
Like I just I don't I don't understand why that loading screen exists. It's literally like pulling up a gear menu. I should be able to hit the start button and instantly pull up my gear menu. You can do it in every other game. And so I'm just like there's the strikes against it are stacking up in a way that has me very concerned. And the reason it has me concerned is because I don't know how quickly Anthem is going to be able to pivot to fix this because when you look at their 90-day roadmap, we're getting a bunch of stuff in March, but we're really not getting the major stuff, the major fixes until May. And that is a little terrifying to know like how quickly this game could drop off the face of the earth because the Division 2 is coming in three weeks. Yeah. And all of the content that that game has is going to knock Anthem out of the water. Like launching with more than 70 plus, 70 plus hours of content on day one like is is crazy and like we've seen Brittany and I have seen the extensive gear system in Division 2 I mean like Anthem can't hold a candle to it and so it's just like I'm concerned and like I hate I hate that I'm concerned because I really wanted this game to soar and it's not and that bums me up I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier I think the vocal minority is obviously very upset with these issues that are coming up with Anthem but I don't think you're wrong to have enjoyed what you've been playing so far. I think you can have fun with the game, but still understand that it has a lot of things it needs to fix. And while there are a lot of people complaining about stuff about Anthem, I bet if you were to ask them, they would also say that they're enjoying it. Probably feel very similar to you. Yes. I mean, and, and, and we've seen that online, right? We've seen tons of people talking about how much fun they're having with Anthem and that they've really enjoyed their time. But I think what... What's happening is that people are putting about 30 hours into the game and then they're hitting the wall where there's nothing left, which is a pretty early wall for an open world game like Anthem. And then if you want to grind for Masterworks and Legendaries in the end game, you're really playing the same contracts and the same um, strongholds over again because you can't replay story missions, which is something that like, that's like Destiny 101, why they didn't think to let people go back and play the story missions again is crazy. But I think what it comes down to probably with Anthem is that there's a morality, like a light morality system in the sense that your choices matter at the, in the end game based off the conversations that you've had with people and how your missions play out, which is a very Bioware thing. But because of that, it's not so easy to necessarily go back and replay story missions but i hope that they figure out a way to maybe turn off the switch that you know like makes the story missions matter just so you can play them again yeah i mean i mean for me personally like i haven't started anthem i haven't played any more anthem than what we played during that beta that or the vip demo excuse me that was not a beta that was the vip demo um and just hearing everyone talk about it i'm kind of just not i kind of don't want to pick it up I kind of just want to let it simmer and let it cook for a bit. I mean, I feel like you, Steimer, and Andrea have it covered. And in the meantime, I'll just play games like Devil May Cry. And I'll pick up The Division <laughs> when it comes out in a few weeks. But it's kind of sad, you know? I don't know. Yeah. I just, like, I I want to, you know, I wanted to address my concerns because it's not living up to the expectations that I was hoping for. I always knew this was never going to be a comp- a comp- 
predator to Destiny. Like, people were like, oh, it's going to be a Destiny killer. And I was like, no. Like, Bungie's just too good at what they do in order for Anthem, you know, coming in as a multiplayer game, the first of its kind from Bioware for it to compete on that scale. But because I was so hyped for this game, I think I was maybe wearing rose-colored glasses a little bit. But again, like, having fun. But I think once I hit the end game, the wall's going to be hard to ignore. And I'll walk away from it much quicker than I probably wanted to. And then I'll have to take a break and come back in May. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because there's a lot of, obviously, this content they're rolling out for free, which is I think is an important point to remind people of. Yes, it was a $60 game, but all of this extra content is going to be included in that price. And like I mentioned on the show last week when Steimer and I were chatting, if you don't have it in your budget to take a risk on a game like Anthem, don't wait. It's going to be cheaper if you wait until May to to get in when the big content update drops and they add the new Stronghold and the Cataclysm events and all that. So if what you've heard so far has you going, well, I don't know, then wait. But yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm troubled. I mean, I think basically what it comes down to is the game is really fun to play, but Right now, they are missing the thing that a lot of sort of live service games do, which is that core end game loop. Um, and that's not an uncommon thing, especially for someone that is new to this space, such as Bioware. But it is a disappointing one, and it's one that um, really, I think a lot of developers miss it. And they're like, it'll be fine. We can figure it out later. But like, no, no. <laughs> not <laughs> like anymore, People will right? run out of content real fast. Um, and I, I think, uh, it's just, it's one of those things that people take for granted, but like, and that's where I wish that both Bungie and Bioware would learn even more from MMOs because those are the genres that have them and have got them down pat. Yep. And even talking to Julian, about the launch of the original division, he talked about some of their lessons learned and some of their mistakes. And he's like, you know, we really learned from that and are going to do better this time around. And so I, I think something worth bringing up and something that I brought up in my interview with Julian, which we're going to be putting out of uh, a separate podcast upload. We get to talk to um, not only just Julian, but uh, their lead IP researcher, Chloe, and the lead, uh, one of the lead environmental artists, Chad, about everything that we saw. And I kind of hinted to him, you know, have you been looking at what's happening in the space for other companies that are doing games as services and some of the struggles that they're going through and looking around going, hey, I want to make sure to maybe address those concerns with the Division 2? And he said, honestly, No. He says, as a development team, you're so head down focused on your work and your job. You don't stop to look at what's happening in the industry. And he said, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe we should have made it a point to look around at the mistakes that other people have made or the successes that other people have made and try to apply that to our production timeline. But he says, you get so focused on the product that you don't. You don't stop and look around. And I think that's maybe what Bioware is suffering from right now. I think is that's that they, all yeah, a lot is of that, developers do. 
Exactly. And so gamers, though, are expecting that they did learn from Bungie's mistakes, that they did learn from Massive's mistakes, and that they're looking at what's happening in the space and and that they are supposed to take those lessons and apply them to their projects. And what Julian was saying is that's not the way game development works. And I thought that that was a really important point that he made as somebody who is the creative director of this massive game that's about to come out to remind gamers, hey, like, you think that it's easy and it's really not because by the time you maybe notice somebody else's misstep in a games as service, you're already three years into your production workflow and you, you couldn't change directions or pivot even if you wanted to. And I was like, dude, that's some real, real talk. And I wish that more gamers would take the time to appreciate that aspect of game development, but they don't. They're really demanding. And not to say you shouldn't be demanding with your dollars. Of course, you have every right to have your own expectations. But I thought it worth bringing up. Interesting. I wonder if that would that if people were to adopt that kind of role into game development, would that be a consultant? Like what form would that take? It's kind of like when Ubisoft implemented that. Uh, oh, God, what was it called? The For Honor um, emote where the guy like lashed onto the girl's boobs when he was dying. It was like, how did you think this was going to be okay? You need like a, is this gonna, is, is this okay person on your team? Is this something people are going to like? <laughs> is this okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, I mean, this, uh, this stuff is fundamentally different because this is talking about uh, core gameplay design. Of course. Uh, and I, learning from those things and those mistakes versus a sort of sanity check, brand check um, for content that is added. Then maybe um, they need two consultants because I think us as, as what we do, you know, we're so intertwined with the culture and the community and, and what's acceptable and what's not. And I think what we forget are these games have sometimes hundreds of developers who are developers. They're not on social media like we are. They don't need to be because, you know, they're not considered influencers or whatever you want to call us. And um, yeah. yeah, I think to us, it seems so cut and dry. But uh, you're right. The development's a whole nother, whole nother ball game. And if maybe people were paying as much attention, and like you said, it's hard because development takes so many years. We'd have perfect video games all the time. But absolutely, no, perfect. because then there's the there's also the other I issue. Was being you run sorry, into. I was not being serious. Oh, I know. No, no, I know. Okay. Okay. I know you weren't. But sorry. No, no, I didn't mean to say that. But so, um, oh god, that derailed my train of thought a little bit. Sorry. Um, it's okay. But the train of was so. There's a couple of issues. One is that, number one, yeah, if you've been working on something for a long time, you're building the train tracks for that thing already. So to even look at other people and what they're doing, um, you could learn from it or you could find the influx of information to be so crippling that then you don't know where you want to go with your game design or where, oh, well, they're doing that. Well, what if we put that in the game? Because it looks cool. Okay, now we have a completely overbloated, overscoped game that we have no chance in fucking hell finishing. So, like, there's a fine line to walk between, yes, we need to share learnings, maybe industry-wide a little bit better. Maybe that is a thing, like, GDC. I mean, I feel like GDC was sort of that. Or maybe still is. But Yeah, it absolutely is. Where, where game developers can actually get together and be like, yo, here is what we learned building these types of games. Other developers can come, take notes, whatever, chat about it. And that's a really good learning place for them. Um, versus trying to just look at every launch of every game ever and figure it out now that said i do think that um their marketing teams at least should be looking and and pr should be looking at their competitive space and should be looking at how other games have been received and should be planting those seeds very early with the development team because there's not a whole lot that can be done at a certain point but if you get in early enough 
that can help change the fundamental design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anyways, and I mean, rant. <laughs> hits and misses, you know, are important because if everyone tried to do the same thing, of course, we would all get the same game. And that's a very, very boring universe. And no, no one wants that. I think it's more about the fundamental aspects of like, let's say you're making an RPG and it's a turn based RPG, but you're not going to make it. So your hit points scale when you level up and said you only get an HP increase by finding these crazy things around the world. It's like that seems like a, a, a silly innovation that's not needed. So you know, again, like video games are still young and we're still learning what works and what doesn't. And um, like you said, hopefully everyone will just learn some major points from all of these fiascos. Well, mainly if you're going to launch a live at service game, make sure you actually have a comprehensive end game. Yeah. That's built in before it launches. Uh, unless the only reason that it would be okay is if it was more of an early access situation. Or they had such a robust campaign that you felt that your money was worth it and you don't mind waiting 30 days, 60 days, 90 days for end game content. But the campaign is not long at all. And I think that's really how long is it? I'd say from what I've played so far and from where I've kind of like heard of where people have ended, it's like 20 hours. We old woman me is like perfect. <laughs> Remember summer we talked about that on the the, the Steinbacher show. I said yeah. they're already talking about end game DLC stuff coming in in May. Like, uh, like how long is it yeah. going to take you to finish this? But now we know, and it makes sense. But it would be cool because like, remember this was a long time ago. God knows if this will be true or not. This was Pax West. I think we were at the Anthem preview thingy, and when uh, yeah. Mark was speaking, he was. He made trespasser hints and or like in the sense that like, ooh, we, we, we like think of the DLC of, of Anthem being more like trespasser than any of our other DLC. And that got me really excited mm. because I always thought trespasser was some of the best that they've ever done because they did just basically say or they, they took your choices and then expanded on them further and made really interesting decisions, a.k.a. fucking Iron Bull bastard. Did you, did, he betrayed me. He betrayed Jinx. me as best passer. <laughs> but Why? I think you earned that betrayal. I did. I did. I did. Anyway. I straight fucked him over earlier. Anyways, it's fine. Yeah. Um. <laughs> we'll have to have a Bioware romance. We'll just a Bioware rant episode one of these days where we just... Oh, I think we've had that already. I mean, it, we've had that. And yeah. also, it would just be us <laughs> screaming about egg for like 45 minutes. Maybe we make an episode where we toss eggs out a window. Oh... <laughs> revenge will be had oh we could like draw faces on him and then little beady eyes make and one and then make one like a wolf and then be like fuck you dread wolf <clears throat> get out of here <laughs> tell me how you really feel ladies we really hate no, eggs. don't yeah actually don't actually don't <laughs> <laughs> how much time do you right. have andrea well we've yeah well we've been talking about anthem for quite some time so let's put a pin in it because let's be honest we're going to be talking about it again next week when i finally am able to finish the campaign uh Brittany, yo i saw you brought your vita on your recent trip to washington dc <gasps> and you were playing final fantasy surprise 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 so yeah this has been my my travel game i usually play something on the switch but i've been uh craving something very retro so i busted out the true vita the true tried and true vita and i downloaded final fantasy 4 on it so i've been playing that when i was in hawaii i played it on my trip to and from dc so i'm playing final fantasy 4 
And this is from usgamer.net. So this is Final Fantasy IV, the complete collection that I bought. It basically has updated sprites, a remix soundtrack, bonus dungeons, and some other cool stuff that I don't know about because this game came out in 1991. So I did not play it back then. So anyway, I won't talk about this too long, but I will say it's very fun. It still holds up well. There are, you know, it's funny because RPGs back then, like, while it's telling a great... Okay, oh, this is how I got stuck on this. That's right. I tried playing this game on the Switch. Dungeons and... I don't know what it was called. Not Dungeons and Dragons. But some game that was ported from iOS to the Switch. It looks old school. Like, this looks cool. And I started playing it. And the writing just was so bad that it turned me off from the game entirely. I'm like, this really sucks. If I want want a true blue nostalgic JRPG kick, I'm going to have to go to the experts. And that is... Final Fantasy. So that's how I got started on my Final Fantasy 4 kick. And anyway, okay. it's great. You know, obviously the game came out in fucking 1991 and it has been updated in this complete collection. So, it, you know, there's not, there's no like mission objective. It doesn't really tell you where you need to go. You kind of have to figure it out on your own. And so, you know, stuff that's happened in the past 20 years has kind of changed the way we look at games, but it's very fun and I'm having a great time with it. So there Good. we go. That's great. Final Fantasy IV, we review games from 1991 here on What's Good Games. Yeah. Because we got to remain hashtag relevant. Oh, shit. Well, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with visiting an old classic. Oh, it's so good. So much fun. Um, I have just been playing more Diablo three on my Switch. Um, nothing really exciting to report there. Um, and I tried out this other game on my Switch that I am going to have to probably pick up and talk more about later because it requires local multiplayer. And I was trying to play it by myself, and I could only do the training mode. It's a game called um, Battle Loons. Battle Loons. And yeah, and it's essentially like a four-player local co-op. Well, not co-op, multiplayer a game where you play these little balloons and you fill up with air and then you squeeze the air out of the little hole with the little opening for the balloon. You um, move across this arena and then on the edges of the arena are spikes. And so your goal is to kind of like bumper cars your way into knocking your opponents into the spikes. And the different balloons have different abilities so some of them move really slow but they can puff up a bunch of air and others taking less air but they're really fast there's a cat balloon which is my favorite (laughs) oh my god what's Um, the ability (laughs) i think it's just looks cute i think that's an ability special um that i haven't done a lot of practicing with all the different balloons because i was like oh this will be way more fun if i actually like play with people so um just getting started uh with that game let me look up um i'm having a brain fart about the name of the developer warmonger oh you you found it warmonger's battle loons battle loons Battle loons, battle loons. Why is that coming out? Unless this is is a different battle loons, but I think it's. I highly doubt it. Yeah. Let me pull up the email. uh, Oh, yeah, it's just just battle loons. So it's B A T T L L O O N. It's coming to Switch and Steam on February 28th. And Sony is publishing it under their Unties label and No Name Studio. So. 
whatever one you found is not the one that I was playing. So the kind of pitch here for the game, it says, gather up to four friends and get ready for the balloon fight of the century. Choose from six adorable yet unrelenting characters and propel foes into the spiked walls of colorful arenas filled with dangers like balloon-eating fish, meteors, and massive bombs. But beware, after balloons are popped, they come back as mischievous ghosts that can still create havoc and take home the winning crowd. I was reading a pattern for, remember that game Wildstar that got shut down a long time ago? It was like that MMO or something. Yes, yeah. I remember. So, Warmonger's Battle Loons is a pattern for that MMO. That's where I thought Warmonger was the developer, but no, nope, <laughs> it's just literally Battle Loons for a Warmonger. Anyway. Interesting. Uh, no, so different game. But this looks really cute. It's on Switch is what I was playing it. And um, hopefully we can play it maybe on a stream sometime because it seems ripe for yeah. some shenanigans. <laughs> But yeah, so that's it for hands-on for this week. When we come back from our short break, we're going to talk about everything we saw in Washington, D.C., including our developer interviews and our hands-on time. Stick with us. We will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's segment three of the What's Good Games podcast, and this is where we have our special feature, and this week, it's all about The Division 2. So if you were following Brittany and I on social media, you may have seen that we were in Washington, D.C. this week. Yes, the capital of the United States of America. And it was the first time for both of us. We'd never been there before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when Ubisoft called and was like, hey, do you want to come see where we got some inspiration for for the world of The Division 2? We were like, heck yeah, we want to go. So thank you so much to Ubisoft for flying us out there and taking us around the city. It was really fascinating learning about the truly like humble beginnings of the United States and seeing some of the like ground zero places where our government really took shape and really was some somberness as well. Visiting the Lincoln Memorial, visiting the World War II Memorial, and visiting the National Archives where we got to see the actual physical Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. And really getting some context for what these places represent inside the world of the Division Two. Brittany, did you have a favorite location that we visited? Oh, I would say the Lincoln Memorial was pretty just awe-inspiring. It's a really somber place, like you were saying, and, um, you know, you go up these grand steps, and then it's built like a temple, and then that statue, I guess I didn't realize how large it was in real life, and, you know, on the sides engraved into the marble are, you know, speeches, and it was just, uh, and then you look behind you, and you have that amazing view. Yeah, it was amazing. I guess what I was most surprised about the whole DC thing, which makes sense after you explained it to me, is that you need permits to film so we were, you know, taking our touristy pictures and whatnot, and our uh, little guides were like, okay, so you can film on this patch of grass and on this sidewalk, <laughs> but you cannot face this way, but you can face that way. Kind of crazy. Yeah, it's really the, there's multiple reasons for that. Of course, they don't want like movie crews coming out or student films taking advantage of the monuments, and they ultimately don't want people being disrespectful in a memorial for one of the greatest men in American history, Abraham Lincoln. But, you know, the scene, the reflecting pool that leads up to the Washington Monument. And I had tweeted that 
or maybe it was on my Instagram, that, you know, I, we've seen that giant pool with the tall monument in so many films and on so many TV shows. But seeing it in person just is a whole new experience and really reflecting on all of the major milestones that have happened in American history at that exact spot, like how many protests have been held there, how many gatherings over the hundreds of years that the United States has been a nation, was really inspiring in a lot of ways. So I can see why Massive wanted to work with Washington, D.C. as a location for the Division Two, And clearly it makes sense from a lot of narrative reasons that fit within the world. So in addition to visiting these historic locations, after each place that we visited, a member of the development team kind of gathered everybody and said, hey, like, you know, we're here at the you know, at the Washington Monument. And this is where you're going to see it in the game. And this is what you can expect to find. And this is the reason why. And that was a really cool conversation, not only with the members of Massive, but we also got to hear from different experts. Like, for example, we got to meet with a woman named Trisha uh, Wachtendorf, who is a crisis state expert. And she works for the, I believe it's the University of Delaware, um, I have to look up exactly what her title was, but essentially her job is to study disasters and to study disaster response and how these disasters cause crises and how governments can mitigate what these crises kind of evolve into and how governments can respond to disasters in ways that are beneficial to their citizens. And uh, clearly the Division Two is all about a disaster, right? We've got the dollar flu, we've got the response and how the world is essentially collapsed in the wake of the dollar flu and learning about the lore of the division and the world of the division was really fascinating to me and seeing how they so clearly blended so much of that with the reality of the way that governments actually handle some of these things. And I think I never got that. It never really sunk in when I played the original division, even though I played like, you know, 40, 50 plus hours of that game. I didn't really care or know who the factions were. I was like, oh, you know, there's an infection. We've seen so many post-apocalyptic games with infections. And I was like, oh, it's just a fun shooter. And I, re- I really like did not put too much thought into the lore behind it until this trip. So that's why I was really grateful to Ubisoft for giving us the opportunity to really have that deep dive because now it makes me so much more invested in what's going to be coming in The Division 2. And I spent a couple of minutes reading the lore book that is going to launch. I don't know if they told us what date that's publishing. I think it's the 19th, which I thought was a little strange because it's a few days after launch. And I said, duh, it should come out beforehand. <laughs> Do you want to oh. look into it? I think she said Let's the 19th. see here. But uh, yeah, it, it was really cool. And I think, you know, obviously seeing the historical stuff was awesome, but in the in the realm of what we do, it was fascinating. I've never done a tour like this before where you see this historical thing. You have a developer talk to you and be like, okay, so in the game, like this, this, and this happened, you know, and talking about how the Lincoln Memorial has been trashed and how, you know, parts of it's broken. It's like, oh man, like that's deep. And now it's going to impact me, I think, in a way that I wouldn't have before. And it, it's it's interesting how they did that, you know, they consulted with the experts, like you said, but also with police and firemen and even local musicians to see like, what would you do in this? And they took all of that knowledge and created this truly believable world. And, you know, when we play video games, like 
we're not experts. We don't really know how realistic this really could be unless there's like radioactive unicorns prancing around. And then we're like, okay, that's not realistic. But it's just that extra touch that I think is going to be very noticeable, um, especially since DC is as close to a one-to-one scale in this game as they could get. It's going to be really fun to see how everything plays out and the looks. Yeah, absolutely. And just to follow up on the lore book, you were correct, March 19th. And I think the reason why it's after launch is because otherwise it would be spoilery. Yeah. If it went out pre-launch. So I won't say too much more about what I found in that book because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But even in the first 10 pages of the lore book, getting the details about who these factions are, the true sons, the hyenas, and the... Are you talking about the post-launch guys? No, not the Black Tusks. The mm, I'm pulling up my notes here. The Outcasts. Um, and like learning where they came from, I was like, oh, like this totally makes sense. And now they're not just some faceless enemy NPC that I'm fighting. I'm like, oh, I, I, I understand the story behind who this group is and what they mean in the, world, in the context of the Division 2. Mm-hmm. Simer, have you been to Washington, D.C.? Uh, I was born uh, just outside of it, but I was... So technically, yes, but in, within, you, were, you were just a baby when I remember. was of an age where I could remember anything. No, nay. <laughs> um, have you ever had a desire to go and visit those historical sites? I mean, I, I haven't done too much of the Northeast. So, yeah, it's always not just Washington, D.C., but I'd like to spend, you know, more time all up all up in there because I haven't really I've done the South um, driven through the Midwest. I think that's enough. i think that's enough i spend most of my life on the west coast (laughs) well west coast best coast i don't blame you um but how do you feel about the kind of overlap of reality in video games and them making this concerted effort concerted effort to bring in so much of how it actually would be in real life versus we're kind of more leaning into the fantasy of it I mean, I personally enjoy it, and uh, the only example I'll use right now is the one that I can, I can personally relate to better, and, and Britt, you probably can too, is Infamous Second Son. So I, I really enjoyed how much, um, granted, they made Seattle an island, which it's not, but aside from that, uh, I really, it was cool to kind of go around and see all these places that were real, and I had been before, and the way that they even captured just sort of the ambient sound of light rain and the way it hits certain materials. Like it's just, it's really interesting and beautiful when developers take that kind of time to pay attention to what it is going on. And I actually kind of think it's interesting for this case in particular with the division, because it is both a blend of fantasy and reality. They get to play with it a little bit more um, than I would say even second son does because second son, obviously he has superpowers, but like everybody else is just kind of <laughs> chilling there, regular. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to see what they do with it. And uh, it would have been interesting to be able to go on this trip with you. Obviously, I could not because I had to work. But um, I remember um, this was kind of random, but True Crime Streets of L.A. was a PlayStation 2 game. I played on PlayStation 2. And I was so excited about that damn game because that's when I was going through that weird I love gangs phase of my life where I was obsessed. I'm sorry, you went through an I love gangs phase? 
I didn't I haven't told yeah, I, I was obsessed with the bloods and the crypts I, I I thought I misheard that. No, Simon, so oh, thank you for oh, asking. No, no. In middle school, it was um I was obsessed with the bloods and the crypts and gang culture. What? And what? I dude, obsessed I'm, like you were curious about what it was like or no, I you didn't thought want they it, were cool. I thought I thought they were fascinating. And I read so many books about freaking. Is this like a murder fascination thing? Like when people are like, oh, I like reading about serial killers. Was it that kind of a mentality? No, I just thought the whole culture of gangs was just interesting. Like how people, why people join, what they do when they're in there, why they join, like what, what transpires when you're part of a gang. I don't know. I was a little sheltered girl and from Washington. So that game came out in 2003. But what I loved about this is that they recreated the streets of South Central L.A., and so I just bought that game that came out in 2003 purely just to drive around and like visit the places in my books that I had read about. I never actually played the game. Well, anyway, have wow. you ever actually been to South Central LA? <laughs> Accidentally, yes. It's my not, best it's friend not picked great. me up. Yeah. My best friend picked <laughs> me up um, <laughs> and we got lost. That's a story for another day, though. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, then. Um, Okay, I don't even like know where to pick up from yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that was definitely a twist I did not see coming out of this South conversation. Central. <laughs> I'm here to uh, keep well, you on your toes. Let's go back to what we were doing in Washington, D.C. So in addition to visiting uh, several locations, um, I think what you were talking about, Steimer, was your appreciation for what you saw Sucker Punch do in the dedication of the recreation of Seattle inside infamous and it was fascinating hearing from the team at massive about their dedication to doing something very similar inside the division two with washington dc Brittany and i got the opportunity to go to the air and space museum the first day that we were there and there was a mission set inside the air and space museum which if you played in the private beta you might have seen and they were talking about how they went on so many trips to get the look and the feel just right down to like the color and the texture of the carpet inside the Air and Space Museum because they really wanted it to feel authentic. But they also spent a lot of time deconstructing these things in a way. So when you look at the National Monument, or not the National Monument, excuse me, the Washington Monument, it's got, you know, like a little chunk out of the side. There's graffiti on it, and it's now like a disaster staging area. When you look at the Lincoln Memorial, it's got this specific graffiti on it as well. And, you know, you look at the Air and Space Museum, and while the carpet is identical to the carpet inside the actual museum, there's these floor-to-ceiling amazing windows that let in all this beautiful natural light. But they said they had to block up and board a lot of those windows because in a you know, disaster scenario where there's these competing factions who are using violence for resources. You don't want a, a security breach like glass windows at your stronghold. So they had to barricade a lot of these things. And I was like, I thought that was really fascinating. And yeah. And then that would, oh, no, so go ahead. I was going to say, no, that, and then that obviously then comes to them. They have to figure out the lighting of that space and what it would look like and what you would need to use because you would no longer have the natural light that you just did. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up lighting because it's something that we talked to chat about the environmental artists. And they mentioned that this time around that there's obviously a day and night cycle and there's dynamic weather as well. So all of those factors vary in the way that they were able to use light in the snowdrop engine. And if you listen to the interviews that we put up, we talked to him pretty extensively about what that means from a visual design perspective inside the game. Because if you do the mission, 
in the Air and Space Museum during the daytime, it's going to look different than if you do the mission at night because you get to choose like when you want to start that mission. And if it's raining outside or if it's not raining outside, that'll have uh, a definite impact as well. And they were talking about how they worked with a studio called Pinewood Studios to do a lot of really unique and interesting sound design in the game and how they recorded locally in Chernobyl, of all places. And I was like, I don't know why you'd want to go there. Aren't like the people from the hills have eyes living there or something? But <laughs> I don't know. If I think it true. was it was because they wanted to get that stillness. Because what they did mm. is, they're during this presentation, um, they would go to parts in the game that are in real life, and they would stop and they re- would record. You know, so there's a few alleyways in the game, for example, and then they would stand there with their sound equipment and get that sound. But obviously, you know, you don't have the car zooming by, you don't have the people chatting, so they decided Chernobyl would be the way to go and pl- the place to go. And that's where they got a lot of their sound effects because obviously the equipment there is kind of rusted, it's all kind of screwy, people haven't been using it. And so it was showing, you know, them holding their equipment and like kind of touching a rusty bike or whatever it was and it made that sound that they were looking for. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, I would not have thought to go there. I mean, it makes sense, but I wonder who was like, wait, we should go to Chernobyl. I would love to go to Chernobyl. I mean, you would because you hope you find zombies there. Let's just be real. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to Chernobyl to find zombies. She'll be back in a week. (laughs) Um, But I think like the biggest takeaway from our time spent in Washington, D.C., visiting all these places and talking to the development team was they clearly have thought about a lot of aspects of the commitment to the scenery, to the setting, to the thematic elements of what the Division 2 means. And I really appreciate that they took a lot of care and time. And I think a lot of Ubisoft properties do. I think that's one of the greatest things about Ubisoft franchises is that you can see the care and the world building that goes into it. And I hope that players who are fans of the Division will appreciate it. Now, that doesn't say anything about how the game is going to play, Um, We did get some hands-on time with the game. Unfortunately, it was the same hands-on time that Brittany and I got when we played it a couple of weeks ago here in San Francisco. So we were a little bit bummed about that, that we didn't get to play something new. But we did play the opening prologue mission where you take back the White House, which is, of course, the base of operations that you play in the Division 2. And then we also played the opening mission where you infiltrate... I don't even remember what the name of that building is, and you come into contact with one of the first factions. Um, I can't even remember what the name of the faction is in that first mission, but um, it was funny because one of the techs from the team was standing behind us, intending to give us like instructions, but we were playing with um, Khalif Adams, of course, friend of the show, who was from Spawn on Me, and Danny Pena, also friend of the show, who was on uh, the co-host of Gamertag Radio. And the four of us were playing together, and we were just like, we were just like zipping through that demo. And he was like, I don't even need to tell you guys how to play. And we're like, it's because we've played this before. It definitely felt better than when we played it a few weeks ago, which is to be expected. And only, I think we only got one crash, and that was something weird. Danny, that happened to Danny's computer. But man, the more I see this game, the more I play it, just the more excited I am for it. You know, it's quickly becoming one of my most anticipated titles. And that really surprises me because I just hopped into The Division two years ago, last year, I think. I know we were shooting What's Good, and I was talking about my hands-on experience. And 
while I enjoyed the division, I don't recall much of its story. When I think about the setting of the division, I just think of gray and snow and buildings. And I don't yep. think, yeah, right. That's <laughs> totally in kind of, parkas. And yes. I don't think of much of anything else in that. I know I had a good time with it and that's kind of like where I'm, where I stand. But with the division too, everything I've seen so far, she's like, holy shit, this is really, really good. And I don't think we can, you know, give them enough credit. Ubisoft, you know, enough credit for really taking feedback and making it into what it is. And I'm very, very Getting excited. rid of the parkas. Yeah, get rid of the get rid of that first timer. Oh, also, if you see deep red hair in the division two, you know that's Andrea's doing. <laughs> what? This I, lady. I gave, this lady. Yeah, so I gave Julian a hard time. So when we booted up the demo, they had an expanded character creator available because the first time we kind of just had to pick like a random character, but this time they had a lot more customization options available in the demo that we played. And I um, got mad that the that you can have green hair, you can have purple hair, you can have blue hair, but there's no red hair option. The only option is like what looks like more brown with like a tinge of red, like a very light auburn, but there's no like red option. And I was like, WTF, Julian, where's the red hair? And he was like, listen, I will make it my mission to make sure we can get some red hair <laughs> in the game just for you. And I was like, oh, that's really kind of you. But um, they're such a fun team, and I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to work with them. I, of course, hosted the Division Two Comic-Con panel where they talked about all the transmedia stuff that they're doing between the lore book, the comic partnership they're doing with Dark Horse, the novel, and, of course, the movie, which has been announced, which is going to be directed by the same guy who did John Wick, which is super exciting. Um, I think overall, like, Tom Clancy properties in general have that fun, like, thriller, suspense genre really down to a T and I'm excited to see where it goes and I really think that they are showcasing their commitment as we talked about in the news segment earlier in the show we were getting a bunch of stuff post content so they said a 40 hour story in an open world they're going to get three dark zones this time we have dedicated PVP modes specifically as a fan requested thing to expand the dark zone there's going to be daily weekly and monthly activities and of course they've revamped and um, really added a lot more content into the end game and Julian said quote hundreds of hours of content at launch and then of course post launch they have themed seasons the first season is called invasion there's major updates including the episodes which we talked about the new narrative missions new locations new modes all for free included with the price of the game so um, I just hope that their launch goes smooth I don't want this to turn into another Anthem situation. I really don't. I don't think they're going to suffer from the lack of endgame content like we were talking about, clearly. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, servers are rough. Yeah. But I, I, I think I take solace knowing that Ubisoft, as a publisher, has spent so much time in the games of service space between Rainbow Six, Ghost Recon, For Honor, and others that they are prepared. More prepared Hoping than... Hoping that they are at least... Sharing knowledge across studios. I'm yeah, saying exactly. if there are issues, I will not be surprised. At launch with server issues. And I don't think anyone will. But hey. At launch with any issues. Because again, when <laughs> yeah. you have that many more people playing a game, you can QA test as much as you can. But it's never the same. It's never the same. No. Yeah. 
like, so I just bumped into my desk. Uh, you can't really predict like the way that that stuff is going to work. So, um, but yeah, again, as a reminder, the open beta is happening right now. So if what we've been talking about has you excited and you want to check it out for yourself and check out the amazing work that they did in recreating the world of Washington, D.C., uh, download it. Try it out. It's open. And then please do look in the podcast feed. Um, I still have to edit the videos by the time the podcast airs. I don't know if I'll have those interviews done or not because I think I had to record some VO to kind of connect them together. Um, but please do check it out if you are interested in some additional information from the team at Massive about the world of The Division 2. Today, I may have forgotten. Forgive me if I'm repeating a question. <laughs> Did they go over customization and like transmog kind of stuff? Um, they did not. And we didn't, we sadly, once again, did not get as much time with Julian as we would have liked. Um, and so we didn't get a chance to ask him a lot of questions like, is there going to be a scooter? But from what I heard from, <laughs> is there going to be a scooter? You know, what's funny is Khalif actually made a very valid point that I didn't think about. And because every time that anybody else has asked the team about it, they have not confirmed that there will be. And I think that there won't be. And Khalif was like, what do you mean, scooter? You can't be on a scooter. Can you imagine you're on a Razor scooter? You're gripping on there and you're using your foot and you're just like going down the road. You can get shot. Yeah. And I was like, Khalif. Not only that. Yeah. How do you hold your gun? <laughs> a drive-by scooter shooting. You can't. You can only yeah. have a handgun. Oh, no. You no <laughs> exactly. And I was like, this is the real like on the nose thing that I didn't think of because when you're in the division, you're you're literally walking like you're a secret agent holding your gun all the time or like a SWAT agent. I'm like, yeah, I they guess don't that do, makes sense. They don't do scooter training when you're doing the division. <laughs> no. I, I just want to move faster. Like a Vespa. <laughs> Vespa. <laughs> you could ride, have someone riding on the back covering you. Yeah, right? Maybe. Like in Far Cry. But a Razor but scooter I, would be the dorkiest shit of all time. I would be, I would, get, oh my God, I would pay money like, to see Andrew's scooter. That would just ruin the scooting. image. No, I think it I was just hoping, okay? Jeez, don't give me such a hard time. I'm going to get you a scooter for Christmas. And a little, no, like, I want, I want a cosplayer to do this for you. No, and a Nerf gun. <laughs> no, this is what we'll do. Stammer, you and I will get little Nerf guns and then we'll have Andrea scoot down the road and we'll see how many times we can pelter with darts. Oh, okay. This will be some oh good gosh. content. <laughs> oh, by the way, Brittany, we still need to figure out when we're going to eat our astronaut ice cream. Oh, yeah. We have astronaut ice cream. Oh, my God. I love astronaut ice well, cream. Well, okay. How about we save it for our uh, streams? In yeah. March. For next month in March. It's not going bad. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true. That shit can survive space. <laughs> it's vacuum sealed. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for listening to me talk for quite a long time. Um, I want to give a big shout out and a thank you to Danny uh, at Gamertag Radio for hosting Britt and I uh, for one of his 14th anniversary shows. He We recorded a special episode with Khalif while we were in Washington, D.C. and had a really good chat about podcasting, working with content creators, being a content creator, and then we got into a really heated <laughs> debate about the Xbox Live on Nintendo Switch rumors, which I guess we maybe should have talked about in the news segment, but oh, I yeah. thought that was Sam old and I news. covered that when it broke. Okay. Did we? Um, I was like, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty forgot. much old news. <laughs> but essentially, like, the conversation was, the problem was, and Brittany kept, to your credit, Britt, you tried to get us back down to reality about what the actual news was, 
And I hadn't read the story and I was asking Danny to try to explain it and he was not, he was getting it wrong. And you were like, no, it's just Xbox Live a Nintendo Switch, and he was like, it's Game Pass on Nintendo Switch, and I was like, no, it's not, and then we, we get into a big shouting match about it. So. Yeah, I mean, there there had been beverages consumed. It was funny, because our, our room was right next to Stone's room, and he's like, oh, no, and the next morning, he tweeted out um, something that said, who booked my room next to a whole bunch of podcasters? Because it was just the four of us in this little tiny, like, hotel room shooting the show. It was so funny. Definitely encourage you all to listen to it. It was yeah, uh, and- spirited, for sure. And Stone being one of the senior directors uh, of PR over at Ubisoft who was helping coordinate the event. And uh, so you guys can check that out. Uh, Gamertag Radio. Uh, you can find them on any podcast service that you find What's Good Games. You can go to twitter.com slash gamertag radio and follow them there. Of course, you know, give them some love. They have been in the podcast game for such a long time. and They're a great group of guys. And hopefully we can get Paris and Pete on the show. Sondheim, obviously Danny as well. They're uh, pretty busy, though. They don't travel to as many shows as we do. But we love those guys over there. And so thank you to Danny for having us on the show. And I think that's going to do it for the show this week. And we hope you guys enjoyed all of the conversations. As always, please interact and reach out to us. We would love hearing from you. You can find us at facebook.com slash what's good games. What's good underscore games on Twitter. What's good games official on Instagram. And you're always welcome to email us at contact at whatsgoodgames.com. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who took the time to write in a testimonial for What's Good Games. I was overwhelmed by how many of you took time out of your day to send in such kind, thoughtful words about what we do here and what What's Good Games and what the What's Good Games community means to you. I'm not going to go much more into it because I'm going to get teary-eyed because some of you said some like really like deep and meaningful stuff and some of you said some really funny stuff too. Um, but we're excited about that again. Uh, March 1st is the deadline. So I believe that's today, the day yep. the podcast comes yep. out. Yep, yep, so if you're listening to this on Friday – and you're like, oh, crap, I totally forgot. I want to write it in. Uh, you still can. We'll tweet out the link. Uh, you can find it on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash what's good games. And you can also find it. I believe I pinned it in the Facebook fan page as well. If you guys want to contribute something to our testimonials for a chance to be featured in the new video that I'm going to be editing. So thank you. I, it means a lot. It really does. And we love you guys. I learned that a lot of you like my voices, my grunts. Thank you. I mean, they're pretty great, Brit. <laughs> it's not just Jason. <laughs> On that note, it's time to say goodbye. Have a fun weekend, everybody. We will see you next week. Goodbye. See you soon. Sayonara. <laughs> oh, God. Tiny sad Muppet from afar. I'm a tiny sad Muppet from the planet Muppeteria. Oh, my God. Oh, my God.